you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Welcome back ladies and gentlemen My name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com That is D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com we are DK Mag. We are not DK Magazine. We are not the letters DK or the word DK. We cover everything horror via our podcast, written articles, reviews, interviews. And joining me for this episode are Enid Artus, content contributor for DK Mag. And don't forget to listen to our podcast on Google Music. And by the way, I'm back. Yay! Stacey Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review for rating and reviews and help us bring. Welcome back, Enid. Thank you. Yes, Enid was off for a couple of days uh, battling the flu, right? Was it the flu, the cold? Flu, cold, however. Yeah. But I lost my voice. So, unfortunately, when you lose your voice, you cannot talk on podcast so i had to take some time off but i'm back yay and in this week's episode we're gonna be featuring a our featured topic which is next vr unveils paranormal evidence stay tuned for that we also have exclusive interview with director brent Wright green we'll be talking about his new re- film release the veil and also, we have an interview segment, exclusive interview segment with director, writer, Peter McKeeran. And he's going to be discussing his latest film, short film, The Quacky Slasher. <laughs> quack, quack. Oh, funny. <laughs> funny, funny. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, stay tuned. And without further ado, here is episode five, season five. Movies, an American Werewolf in London remake. Is there an American Werewolf in London remake in the works? Max Landis, son of John Landis, is working on the screenplay as we speak. At San Diego's Comic-Con, Landis was asked about the project and his response. I'm going to write it and I think I'm going to direct it. I like the script I wrote, you know. I'm halfway through it right now. I hope it turns out great. I promise you nothing. My new gimmick as a public figure is thing. Quote. Landis states he was approached by Robert Kirkman and David Alert. Alpert and David Alpert. Skybound Entertainment about the project. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Okay, so... For those in the audience that are not are unfamiliar with American Werewolf of London, that film offers one of the best human to werewolf transformations without CGI. Everything was practical effects and to this day it stands as one of the best examples of practical effects. Even the makeup in that film were phenomenal. I don't think they could pull this off with CGI. I, I highly doubt it. So if they're going to use 
the type of graphics that they have used in Twilight and uh, Hemlock Grove, uh, the film is gonna just collapse. You need. You seen American World for London? Is that the one with the guy from Back to the Future? No, that's Teen Wolf. Oh. No, that is a that is an offensive remark to the film to this American Werewolf in London. How can you say such a thing? There's so many wolf movie, werewolf movies, vampire movies. There's too many of them. So what do you want me to do? There is only one American Werewolf in London, and then the sequel, American Werewolf in Paris, I think it was. Yeah. But I don't think that one did as good as the first one. Stacey, you seen American World from London? Come on, say yes. Yes, I have. Alright, yes. So what did you think of that werewolf transformation? It was awesome. Um, and I actually I watched it recently for the first time. I heard so many great things about it. And just, you know, experiencing it for the first time, just like, wow, I see why this movie is so good. And that transformation was epic. Um, to, I mean, like, now all the werewolf movies I've seen, that has to be, like, my favorite all-time transformation. It is the best all-time transformation. Because, uh, come on, you can see that the guy is really in pain. The camera was close to his face I mean come on I don't think anything else even with Underworld it does not match practical effects uh, American World for London yeah and like think about like most like werewolf movies nowadays the transformation is so quick it's, it's almost like magic yeah. like you turn your head for a second and you look and you turn into a werewolf you know, it just, there's no like slow and painful agony transportation, tran transformation anymore. Right. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, because come to awesome. think of it, it's true. American World for London, the transformation, uh, come on. It, if you want to put a, a real spin to it, that's the way to do it. Because remember, the human body is changing into this beast. His bones is going to be thicker. Limbs is going to be longer. That does not make sense. Especially in Twilight. Right, Anit? Twilight. Come on. Leave it alone. He, the, alone. Those half-naked boys transforming into big dogs. What the shit is that? What the fuck? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Big Whatever. giant dog. Not only that, let's talk about Hemlock Grove, the same shit. They change into big dogs. Come on, give them a can of Alpo, that's it. You know? No. But uh, a remake. <laughs> a remake. How many times have we been talking about remakes on this show? Too many. Oh. Far too many. Yeah, I've lost count. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here we go and again. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe they're going to remake it. But, you know, it's John Landis' son. So, I guess puts in a little glimmer of hope that maybe he'll follow in his son's, I mean, in his father's footsteps. 
Maybe? But hey, how, we don't know. Might uh, take the more modern day um, cliches out here and screw it all up. That's what I think is gonna happen. I, mm -hmm. I know it's gonna happen. Mila Jovovich to star in Hellboy, Rise of the Blood Queen. As we all know, the Hellboy reboot is in development. And according to INDB, a release is set for 2018. In DK Mag's Season 3, Episode 8, we discussed Guillermo del Toro's not pursuing Hellboy 3. In, in DK Mag Episode 4, Season 4, Episode 6, we discussed the reboot and how Ron Perlman was not reprising the role of Hellboy. Actor David Harbour is on board to portray Hellboy. For those unaware, Harbour starred as Jim Hopper in Netflix's Stranger Things. The writing team for this new Hellboy film are Andrew Cosby, Christopher Golden, and of course, Hellboy creator Mike Bignola is on board as the, and part of the writing team. Neil Marshall is attached to direct. Now here's the update. Hellboy is actually titled Hellboy Rise of the Blood Queen and director Neil Marshall secured the Blood Queen. She is none other than Mila Jovovich and Jovovich is notable for her roles in the Resident Evil franchise. Millennium Films and Lionsgate are backing the film and uh, as I mentioned before 2018 we will be seeing Hellboy this new reboot to Hellboy so Stacy I know you're a big Hellboy fan what do you think about this reboot well um, I love the movie I'm only seen the first one um, but I am excited for Mila Jovovich. Excited for her, she's awesome. That's really all I can say. Um, I've seen the movie like once, years ago. That's it? You haven't seen this, the, the Golden Army? No, I haven't. I've only seen the first movie years ago. And I vaguely remember what happened. They were showing the Golden Army on on TV. I think it was Inid, was it the, the Golden Army they were shown on TV or was it part one? I'm unsure. I know I saw... I think part two already. Part two, right? It's been so many years is already on TV. Yeah, but it was on TV recently. So Inid, another uh, another reboot. Here we have Hellboy, Rise of the Blood Queen. Well, it's, it's actually a different chapter, as it appears, but Mila Jovovich is in it. Well, <clears throat> kind of impressed that Mila is actually not in her husband's movies. Right, which is Resident Evil. Exactly. So she actually trying to get rid of that Resident Evil character. Yeah. Uh, I mean, since Resident Evil is now dead in the ocean, dead in the water, yeah, she's gonna have to find something else to do. And uh, in my opinion, 
Resident Evil Part 1 was a it was good. It had action. It had a little bit of horror. But then all those movies afterwards became the Alice movie, the Alice franchise. It only focused on Alice. They did not focus on any of the characters for Resident Evil. So, yeah. And that was because of her husband putting her in the spotlight. This invincible warrior that cannot be killed. What type so is she gonna be red wife? I I am not sure. I not follow the comics, and uh, I don't know if it's based off the comics in in the storyline. So yeah, so all I all I know is she's portraying the Blood Queen. Interesting. Uh, well, my favorite thing. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, isn't it? funny how she was fighting the red queen and now she's gonna be the blood. red queen right <laughs> yeah now she's the blood queen funny so stacy is she enjoys mila jovovich the actress and her roles i do um and honestly i think i let me double check but i i really only know her from um Resident Evil, and I thought she was badass, you know. Pardon my French, but uh, <laughs> so um, <laughs> and I haven't even seen all of those movies, but I think she would be great in Hellboy. Fight it for it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. She's a she's a good action actress. My personal, our personal favorite for Mila in her role in Chicken Good. Chicken Good? No, that's not the name of the movie. <laughs> the Fifth <laughs> Element. That's the name. Fifth Element. The Fifth Element. Oh my gosh, that was an awesome film. Awesome. But that's actually our favorite part when she pops the little pill in the oven and she. Once you know the oven's finished, she takes out a piece of chicken and she's like, chicken good. That's a piece of chicken. She took out a whole a chicken. A whole chicken. <laughs> Man, I wish they had that stuff now. Shoot. You could come home from work, put a pill in the microwave, and you have a whole meal right there and ready for you. That would be awesome. But uh, let's see. As Anit says, uh, let's wait and see how Hellboy, this new installment for Hellboy, without Ron Perlman. How can you have Hellboy without Ron Perlman? I know, he's such a nice guy. You know, we had the opportunity of meeting him. And he is a nice, down-to-earth guy. So, I guess that's one of the reasons why they didn't want to pick him. Yeah, uh, you, you, you never know in Hollywood how the business perspective, sometimes this business is very cutthroat. And I mean, Ron Perlman is a cool dude. We met him, spoken with him, and he had the opportunity, to, you know, to interact with his fans, which is a very important thing to do, especially when you're an actor. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a plus one in, in, in my book. Cast announced for sci-fi film, Ad Astra. We have some news on new Regency sci-fi movie, Ad Astra. Actress Ruth Niga have joined the cast along with Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones. Niga Rose is being kept hush hush. Here's the synopsis per IMDb. An army 
Corps engineer searches across the galaxy for his father who disappeared on a mission to find alien life 20 years ago. This movie has been directed by James Gray and is written by James Gray and Ethan Ross. This film is in pre-production so stay tuned to DK Mag for more updates. What do you guys think? Rapid doing another scary movie. A science fiction movie. That's interesting. What's the synopsis again? Uh, it says an army corps engineer searches across the galaxy for his father who disappeared on a mission to find alien life 20 years ago. Doesn't that sound a little bit like World War Z? That he worked for the government and he was doing missions uh, to get back to his family? That sounds just like that. Um, but... Yeah. But... Uh, let's see how Brad Pitt does. Let's see how this film does because I always very skeptical when you have big name actors in a sci-fi film or in a horror film. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. It's a fifty. It's a gamble. So let's see. I I enjoy the synopsis. It sounds very interesting. But uh, yeah. What do you think about this, Stacy? Oh, um, didn't Brad Pitt? No way. Okay, I'm already. Uh, okay, I'm already getting him mixed up with someone else. Never mind about that. But it sounds good. I was just going to mention uh, Pitch Black, but I'm like, wait, that's not Brad Pitt. How? No. no. <laughs> 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 Definitely oh, not like, Brad Pitt. Okay. No, that's that's okay. So yeah, being no, uh, <laughs> I, I can't really say I've seen too many movies with Brad Pitt. Honestly, um, let me. Well, the, his his uh, last one was uh, I mean his last genre film. World War Z, right? World War Z. I haven't seen. And they talk they're talking about a sequel. What about the one with the army? Was that after World War Z or before? What army? The one that he was a general. Oh, that's after. So then that wasn't the last movie. Yeah, he was in. Yeah, but uh, he was he was good in that movie too. He was he was good in Fury. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, he was he was good. He was good. <clears throat> but all the problem that he's having with Angelina Jolie, I guess, is kind of like I'm messing up with his career. Yeah. Well, he has done other movies after. Hmm? He has done other movies uh, after World War Z. Uh, of course, they're not genre related. Uh, this Ad Astra is the only one that's genre related sci fi thriller. All the others are like comedies and action films, dramas, stuff like that. Terminator 6 in planning stages. Terminator 6 is Arnold Schwarzenegger is directing, James Cameron and David Ellison of Skydance is producing. 
shooting is slated to begin March 2018. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Not much information is um, given at this time. Uh, another Terminator? That's my question. Why do we need another Terminator? Well, the Terminator is actually... Well, I've, Terminator 1 and 5. I wonder if this one, I'm not sure Schneckers, they're going to be in it or they're going to CGI him again. I'm not sure, but uh, of course he's working with James Cameron. Uh, they, they together, they're writing this. Uh, James Cameron is writing this new installment. Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be reprising his role as a T8, T-800 Model 101. Hmm. And we have reported that the Terminator franchise was going to be put to rest. Uh, Terminator Genesis did not do well in the box office. So, yeah, I am assuming that James Cameron got a hold of the rights to make another Terminator uh, film or to continue the franchise. But of course, why do we need another Terminator for? I wonder if this one is going to be based in the future. Or are they going to go back on the past? I am uncertain. I am definitely uncertain. The way Terminator Genesis ended, of course, for those who have not seen it, too bad. This is a spoiler. Um, the leader of the resistance, John Connor, he becomes possessed by these... He becomes possessed by these nano robots, and in turn, he becomes a uh, an android himself. And I mean, there's so far that you could stretch the plot to keep things interesting. I did not know that a cyborg can age. The Terminator aged 20 years in that film. That does not make sense. Uh, that is, and John Connor had a had a American accent and then in this Genesis he has a British accent how the hell did that happen they changed characters yeah but what the <laughs> one was American and the other one was English so I guess the English one couldn't change the accent that was bad that was terrible that I mean the actor he did his acting well but Oh come on! Make a make an effort to change your accent into an American accent instead of British. That doesn't make sense. How did he get his British accent? Yeah. Well, there has been so many people in the role of John Connor, so. Yeah, there's been three, three as John Connor. So so far for you, I have done the best. Batman, of course, Christian Bale. He did a good job uh, portraying the role as John Connor. Exactly. Yeah. He did a very good role. It'll be good if they bring him back again. I don't think so. I think Christian Bale is is one of those actors that is uh he pick and chooses what he wants to do. Soon you're gonna wash off. Nah, I think I think Christian Bale should have been portraying Batman in this new DC franchise. That's my opinion. But he don't want to be Batman anymore. He want to get out of that character. So. Yep, exactly. You can't blame. No, 
So, Stacy, what is your thoughts? Another Terminator. What do you think? What do you think? Um, I don't know whether to be excited or just say blah. <laughs> I, I I watched the first three. Of course, the first two. The second one is my favorite of all, and then the first. Um, but after three, I didn't really watch, watch Genesis and fell asleep. You did one of my moves, huh? Yeah, I am. <laughs> so I don't really. I'm like if they kind of take it back. So like the first two turn, I guess I'd say, well, that's worth a shot, you know. But yeah, just not how it's been going. No. I mean, they had they had a TV show. They had the Genesis was trying to make things fresh. I mean, Genesis wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, and it wasn't good. It was an action movie. That's what they made it into. Uh, uh, trying to capture people's attention with more action before yeah it was all you know the whole franchise is action of course but you also have to give people the plot you know part one gave people the plot gave audiences the plot this uh, the Terminator was scary uh, un unbeatable robot but now it's just like it's like Call of Duty but with uh, cyborgs. And you know, I make a comparison with Call of Duty because you pick up the game and you just run around shooting people. There's no plot. It's just bullets flying. And that's how this film was. Right? Yes. I loved it. You loved it. Especially when we, <clears throat> we played the video game on the giant screen. Yes. That was cool. That was definitely cool. Yeah. I mean, for the for the world, well, was it the? I think yeah, it was the world premiere. We did. We went to the world premiere screening, and during that time, they had the video game. It was for your phone, and everybody in the movie theater was playing it. That was pretty cool. Rebecca Thomas directs thriller *Malignant*. James Wan is producing another horror film. This is no surprise. Juan is expanding in the horror genre at an exponential rate. His latest production features Rebecca Thomas as Roller's director. Thomas directed episode one to Netflix Stranger Things. The film titled Malignant is based on the graphic novel titled Malignant Man, published by Boom Studios. The graphic novel is authored by James Wan himself, Michael Allen Nelson, and illustrated by Peter Koloski. The following is the synopsis, and this is coming off of Amazon.com, where of course you could get a hold of this graphic novel. Alan Gates, a cancer patient with a terminal diagnosis, is resigned to his fate until he discovers that his tumor is actually a mysterious parasite. Granted a second lease on life and incredible otherworldly powers, Alan must fight against an evil army buried beneath society's skin, all the while 
unlocking the secrets of his forgotten past. Dark, twisted, and unique, Malignant Man is a sci-fi thriller that can't be missed. Malignant is a project that has been talked about over the past two years. In 2015, Deadline reported that writer Zach Olinwisk was hired to pen Malignant for Fox Studios. Of course, this, in my opinion, is an original concept. You have an original character with an original storyline uh, authored by James Wan himself. So you know that this storyline is going to be weird, it's going to be uh, fresh, innovative. So I'm looking forward to I have not read the graphic novel. So I'll, I will after this podcast, not, not right after it, but of course in the weeks after this podcast i'll give this comic book this graphic novel a read just because of this plot i enjoy this plot what do you think about this you need i don't know sounds familiar like there has been another movie out there like that well this is a superhero uh storyline it's going to be generic it sounds like Spider-Man, it sounds like Captain America, it sounds like every other superhero that somehow they get infected and they get become a superhero. So it's, it's, I, it's generic. I wonder where he got the worm from. Well, this is cancer. The, the lead, the protagonist get, has a, is a cancer patient. Yeah, but he said it's a mysterious parasite that he thinks is a mysterious parasite. So where the hell did he got the mysterious parasite from? Probably an STD. Ooh. <laughs> I wonder who he got it from. The malignant woman. Feel the burn. Yeah, he did feel the burn. He felt the burn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he probably has an outbreak of herpes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Stacy says burn, and that is the feeling you do. You know, <laughs> he felt the burn. Mm-hmm. See, the moral of this segment: wear protection. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Always be safe. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Wow, that was some <laughs> comedy relief right there. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> we made Stacy laugh. Wow, the levels on this mic on her microphone just spiked. She had a big laughter right now. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh Stacy, what do you think about this storyline? <laughs> <laughs> Like what it, what Kenneth is saying, it also sounds familiar, but it sounds good to me, I guess. Yeah, it sounds good. I mean, you cannot get a, a, a generic. Uh, this storyline is so generic. You can't get more generic than this. But of course, it feels original because, at least in my opinion, 
he is not doing another spin-off from The Conjuring or something like that. He's borrowing off of his graphic novel something different. That's why I say I can't wait to read the graphic novel, see what it's about, or watch the film soon because I'm tired of this Conjuring bullcrap already. It's just... He's getting tired already. He's not serious anymore. You just blew it with the STD. I will see it like that ever again. Uh, (laughs) But of course, I don't think the story would be popular if it's called the STD, man. (laughs) Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Stacy's thinking about that. She's like, "Mm, no. No, that's, that doesn't work. Well, Enid is asking where he got this mysterious parasite. And sometimes that happens. One night stands, too many one night stands. You say, okay, who was that mysterious woman? Yeah. Well, hey, look at some of the films we've been Remember that what she do have like have sex with the ghost guy and then she started getting like all kind like some kind of parasite or something. Exactly. You remember that movie Ladies Crit? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Wait a now. She just had sex with a with a guy who shot There have been a lot of body horror movies about that. So, yeah. I, I, I think we just, I think you need your curiosity. We pretty much. Uh, you killed the cat. No, we made Malignant Man into a comedy. That's what I say. We're not going to see it like the same way ever again. No. No. But if you go, if you Google it, and if you look at the if you look at the character and you see that he has something sticking out of his arm it looks like the the lead character the protagonist from the video game prototype the prototype he has something coming out of his arm and he was some type of government experiment so he could shift his body into weapons that's what the first when i saw that and i saw that thing coming out of his arm I said, hey, he looks like the character from Prototype. So anybody who's familiar with that video game, they could, or if not, just Google it. And you see Google Prototype and Google Malignant Man, and you see they look the same. Cast announced for sci-fi film Amazing. Known for her famous role in True Blood, Deborah Ann Wool will star in the thriller movie The Maze with co-stars Logan Miller and Taylor Russell. This movie is directed by Adam Rabitel, and according to The Hollywood Reporter, the project is described as in the vein of the 1997 David Fincher film, The Game, an elevated psychological thriller about six strangers who find themselves in circumstances beyond their control and must use their wits to survive. This is written by Maria Melinik and Braggy F. Shant. This film will be releasing in 2018. Like always, stay tuned to your favorite podcast at dkmag.com for more information. Opinions? 
Ah, uh, that actress, she is, uh, she's a very attractive actress. Deborah Ann Wool. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why I was watching uh, True Blood. No, that was one of the reasons why you used to try to watch True Blood because you never kept for it. No. With it. Oh, about it. Exactly. So it was only when she used to have her little sex scenes that you love. Well, that's you see, you make me sound perverted. I'm not out of sex scenes that I love. No. See? No, it's because you got to see her naked. Exactly. See, now, now it's not that you prepared it; it's that you got to see her in other ways. Yes, you see, you're still making me sound perverse. <laughs> Deborah Ann Wool is a very attractive actress, and she's also stars in uh, Daredevil, Netflix Daredevil. She's the secretary, remember? You pointed it out when you saw her on Daredevil. Like, yep. oh, she was in True Blood. And, uh, yep, yeah. I was the one who put you on. You couldn't even, you didn't even recognize her. Well, because in True Blood, she had different colored hair. She had blonde hair in True Blood. Really? Yeah, same color. No different. Same person. She still looks the same. See, my eyes will focus on her. Exactly. You see, and then you don't want think of people thinking. You saying that you <laughs> save your eyes were fixed. On her acting. Uh, my eyes were fixed on her acting ability. See how you jump to conclusions. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, you see? Uh, maybe forget oh, here. <laughs> look at that. He's speechless. Stacy, what do you think about this upcoming film, The Maze? It sounds interesting. Uh, yes. Wait and see. <laughs> 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 you use one of my words right away. <laughs> she had nothing to say. Yeah, like, even what? over the. Uh, <laughs> so not over the previous. Though, <laughs> <laughs> Get over. Yeah. <laughs> Get over now. Wow. She's trying she's trying to forget the STD man. That was <laughs> that is the highlight of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me tell you, James won't be listening to this podcast. You gotta say you just messed up the seriousness of malignant man. Oh man. Blame it on DK Mag. It's okay. We could take the credit for it. The credit is pretty good for it. Exactly. It's awesome having the credit for it because, like that, people get to view us more, listen to us more, and know they hear DK Mag. We like to be honest and we like to, you know, sometimes joke around. Yes. And, and we know that Stacy enjoyed this segment. Oh wow. Funny. <laughs> but uh yeah (laughs) what is this movie related to uh the maze you had mentioned the game the game 1997 davis fincher on the game the game hmm are you talking about are you talking about the game with uh what's his name michael douglas yeah, Michael Douglas, that movie? Well, if you go into INDB, there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, six different It says movies. the 1997 version. Yeah, so it's with Michael Douglas. 
I'm trying so to. So that's the key word right there. So if you go to IMDb, you're gonna see this is the game 1997. And then there, David. There you go. See. I am trying to make a point that many films have the same title. Ben Affleck was in the game. Was this Ben Affleck? No. Wrong. He's not in the game. Okay, we gotta. Are you talking about Reindeer Game? <laughs> I think he was in Reindeer Game. I think Ben Affleck was in Reindeer Game. Yeah, no, we're trying to find the game here on IMDb. Okay. Yeah, 1997. It's the one with um, Michael Douglas, director David Fincher. And that is an awesome movie. Yep. Yeah, that's the one. But my point exactly, there's so many movies called The Game. Yeah, I know. See, there's a romantic comedy called The Game. Romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. So, hmm, reading this synopsis for The Game and The Maze, The Game. You know, when I first read this article for the maze you know the first thing that came to my head maze runner me too i'm like maze maze runner they're making another movie about people in a maze then they had the cube that's what i thought yeah. the cube the maze the hum, the bone yeah. what was that stacy a cube as well that was a good movie yeah the cube well, great concept. Yes, yes, it was. But of course, let's see what the what the maze is all about. Uh, if it's, they had a similar movie like this not too long ago, and it was focused on the young teen demographic. Uh, had to do with social networking that you had to participate in a game, and you had to do stupid shit. And, and get the most votes on social media and then you go to the next level and uh, it could be something from simple like uh, walk down the street naked to killing somebody uh, you know they, they've made films like this before it's it's no surprise but I'm looking forward to this one of course because it has uh, <coughs> yeah Deborah and <coughs> wool in the role <laughs> <coughs> You have something? You 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 okay there, Need? You okay? <coughs> okay. Just just wondering. <laughs> Featured topic: Next via paranormal evidence. We've covered many topics in horror, and recently we've covered. VR content and the platform itself in DK Mag season 4 episode 12 content contributor Ali Vela and I discussed our coverage on the art of VR a two-day event held at Sotheby's here in New York City here we reviewed horror fantasy and genre hybrids aimed at VR devices in our featured topic I'm presenting the next content for VR Paranormal evidence. This bridges the gap between VR and 
real paranormal investigation. As we all know, ghost hunting is a popular subject and one that DK Mag has covered. In DK Mag Season 4, Episode 13, we interviewed Paranormal Den. In DK Mag Season 4, Episode 6, we interviewed Christopher St. Booth. Mr. Booth is a paranormal investigator and a filmmaker. Paranormal Evidence will release on the Samsung Gear VR headsets and Google Daydream View. For the smartphone, audiences can download the Next VR app, which is free, from the Oculus Store for Gear VR or the Google Play Store for Daydream users. David Cole, Next VR CEO, stated the following We are creating original content for VR fans that significantly extends the entertainment portfolio at NextVR, unquote. Quote, Paranormal evidence is at once an adventure through dark and creepy spaces and a thought-provoking exploration of the paranormal, unquote. So the following, what I'm about to relay, is an excerpt from the official press release. A team of investigators led by Jack Kaswitz, who has years of investigative journalism and a linguistic experience, selected Penhurst Asylum for the premiere of Paranormal Evidence with one goal, to capture evidence of what many have claimed is lurking in the dark. Known as one of the most haunted locations in North America, Penhurst opened in 1908 to care for children with severe mental and physical disabilities. In the decades to follow, the isolated facility also housed society's outcasts and criminals, became dangerously overcrowded, underfunded, and understaffed. After nearly a century of controversy and accusations of abuse and neglect, the institution was finally closed. Unexplained occurrences have been reported for years, including strange voices slamming doors, shadowy figures, and visitors grabbed by unseen hands. Here's another quote from David Cole, next VR CEO. Quote, when you put on the VR headset, you enter Penhurst Asylum with our team during the witching hour. You become part of the investigation. It's an experience perfectly suited for VR. Unquote. The paranormal evidence trailer would be available in the next VR app on July 28th, and fans can experience the full episode on August 1st. Visit DK Mag and access the article accompanying this podcast for the standard video trailer. To paranormal evidence. Now I said a mouthful there. I read an excerpt from the press release, gave a few quotes from David Cole, next VR CEO. But here's the, here is our commentary. Paranormal investigation is a topic that is much debated because it's it's a controversy. 
you have this, the, those in the scientific community saying that it's there's no scientific evidence of ghostly apparitions. Then you have those who are in the trenches who are investigating these strange occurrences and saying, yes, there is something out there. So, Inid, what is your opinion? <coughs> VR content and paranormal investigation. So, why are they going to put the glasses so they could see? Right. Picture a paranormal investigation. You're with the team, but in full 3D mode around your around the visor so the person is gonna stay sitting or are they gonna do the walkthrough well for VR content you could be standing you could be sitting but the video if you check out the video is like you're walking down the hall so you're it's like you're actually there so it's probably somebody has the camera right the person is looking through the beer exactly you see it's like a first person view like in a found footage film like that yeah. Well, if they get to see something, they're going to be scared shit because it's going to be right in their eyes. Yeah. Exactly. And I just hope they don't jump out their chair. <laughs> well, you know, if they capture EVPs, which is electro electronic voice phenomena, VR devices has uh, extensions, headphones into your ear. So you fully immersed into the experience. Your <laughs> eyes is covered. Your ears you have these headphones in your ears so you don't hear nothing in the outside world you you're in vr so this is scary <laughs> yeah this is i i would i would get vr a device just to experience this this seems very interesting i en i enjoyed revolutionary ideas stacy what do you think about this have you absorbed all this information there was a lot of information here is is in its infancy right now this is uh, i know a lot of people in the audience were do remember when the flat screen tvs first came out they were expensive they were tremendously expensive the screens were a little bit bulky now you could get a flat screen hd or 4k for a good price and you know you go to a store sometimes you get buy one get one free that's the same thing. That's the same thing that's what's going to happen with VR. It's a baby now. It's in its infancy. And once the technology becomes available, the technology gets smaller. It fits better over your eyes. Right now, it's like you're wearing a brick over your face. Soon, you're not going to need TV. Soon, you want to just put the VR and just watch everything through there. Exactly. Which probably people will become blind. Because no. I, that's such a close for the TV. 
too close to your eyes. You're not supposed to watch TV so close. No, but they have... Well, now we're getting to a different topic here. Uh, I know they have parameters to make sure that your eyes is well protected with the with the, whatever that's being emitted from the screen. But with paranormal investigation and, and, and VR, that's innovative. I I enjoy those those type of uh, ideas because when uh, I attended the Art of VR at Sotheby's, uh, I saw Alien in in utero uh there was a animated film for kids uh you know and there was also a flying dragon so you know this so the the platform is open to so much stuff for vr and just like any said it's going to change the way we see television content and it's also going to change video games content now, of course Let's make it clear, VR is not for video games, 100%. You could do so many different things. So, closing remarks? VR is fun. That's it? Yeah. Okay, stay safe. <laughs> wow. I mean, we had this whole elaborate presentation of paranormal evidence. VR is fun. So, the moral of the story, guys. You are hilarious. And just feel sorry for the person who gets, yeah. <laughs> the person who gets to see whatever they get to see in person, you know, right in the eyes. I just hope they have pampers. <laughs> Stacy, closing remarks on this. VR is fun. Oh, you guys are funny. You guys are so hilarious. Wow. Funny. My closing remarks is uh, with paranormal investigation going into the entertainment industry because you know there's a lot of shows on TV with paranormal uh, investigation, ghost hunting. I hope that it's not like ghost hunters that they fabricate uh, um, the illusion of being a place being haunted. I hope that is actual things that is actually happening. And this gets presented, in, you know, for scientific study, as opposed to you have the producers hiding somewhere, slamming a door, you know, just for the scares and, and, and to sell your content. That's that's my final opinion. Exclusive interview, director Brent Ryan Green, The Veil. My son, you were born into a world of darkness. We must fight to stay alive. We must never stop fighting. You will be a great warrior, my son. When I was young, I fought to survive. Both time. Everything changed. Earlier this week, I had the pleasure to interview director Brent Ryan Green. Green, Mr. Green, makes his feature film debut with The Veil, an action fantasy film that released on the 11th of August, 2017. The Veil is written by Jeff Goldberg. The synopsis for The Veil 
reads as follows. Set in a war-torn land where tribal factions live in fear of annihilation, the film tells a story of a deadly warrior leading a destructive war campaign. When he is betrayed by his own and left for dead, he is healed by a mysterious princess and taken in by a hidden tribe that believes he was chosen to wage a final battle. As I had mentioned before, The Veil released on August 11th. And in my opinion, check out my review for The Veil, which is on dkmag.com, D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. And in my opinion, The Veil has some stunning cinematography. The landscape, the backdrop was phenomenal. And listen to the interview with Mr. Brent Ryan Green, where he reveals the shooting location for The Veil. And my initial thought was that The Veil had this elaborate foreign land, you know, set in the UK or in Ireland somewhere. Uh, it was shot in our own backyard. And he reveals the backdrop for this film. So, uh, Stacy, Enid, uh, any comments on the trailer? If you've seen the trailer, uh, what did you think about uh, the, the sequences for this film? Well, actually, one of the actors from the movie I know pretty well. His name is William Levy, and he is an actor for Spanish telenovelas. Spanish telenovelas. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I would never have guessed that. Yeah, right. I did tell you about it when you was watching the movie. Yeah. And you know what? I enjoy when, a, when the, a Latino is in the lead role for the film and he portrays the lead role as the warrior. So, Stacy, what is your opinion on <laughs> The Veil? Have you seen the trailer? I have not seen the trailer, uh, but the picture um, sounds good. Um, yeah, we have to see the movie. And Anita, of <laughs> course, she's seen uh, pieces of the film while I was uh, conducting my review for the film and immediately recognized the lead role, uh, The Warriors, portrayed by William Levy. And William Levy, he's really um, moving up in the American film industry. He was in Resident Evil as well. Ooh, I haven't seen Resident Evil. I want to see his spice scenes in it. Resident Evil, the final chapter. Yeah, the last one. Yeah. Hmm, very interesting. What character did he play? Christian. Hmm. Yeah, he was Christian. That's interesting. Is there a Christian? I don't remember there being a Christian in the Resident Evil storyline. Anyway, before we divert into a different topic, without further ado, here is my interview with director Brent Ryan Green, where he'll be discussing his feature film debut, The Veil. My name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. Joining me this afternoon is director, producer, and founder of Toy Gun Films, Mr. Brent Ryan Green. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great, great. And this is an icebreaker question. 
uh, where was the shooting location for the veil? The veil was uh, shot on location in Oklahoma City. Uh, <clears throat> Oklahoma is my my home state, where I'm from. Uh, I live there half the time, even now. And so uh, we shot there. Uh, when I was, was preparing to do the film, um, I'd actually been shooting kind of all over the world in different locations and never really shot in Oklahoma. And so um, they have a, a great little incentive rebate program and a, an awesome film office. So we, we developed the veil specifically to be shot in Oklahoma based on, on some locations, actually. So Amazing. You see, when I, when I saw the film last night, I was thinking uh, some foreign area, Ireland or Great Britain. Oklahoma yeah, City. no, it definitely doesn't. I we wanted to do something in Oklahoma because kind of our backyard. We had you know friends and people that can help out and, and doing your first feature, you know you need all the help you can get. And but I didn't want to do something that looked typical. I mean Oklahoma is you know is is flat and has a lot of red dirt and kind of tornadoes and that that's what people think of. But I I wanted to show like a different side. So. Even even I rediscovered the state because I was just looking around for kind of cool locations and looking at some state parks, and I came across uh, – I knew of the Turner Falls, the waterfall kind of location. So I had that in, my, in the back of my mind, and then I discovered so many more, even more than I could put in the movie because we couldn't you know travel around the whole state with this many people. But, um, yeah, hopefully for even for people in Oklahoma who are working on the crew, even like myself, we'd show up to these locations like, wow, I didn't know this is this is here, like these Red Rock Canyons. It's a – a state park and it's 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 really beautiful so yeah hopefully even people from oklahoma may not may not even realize it's um uh, it, it was shot in oklahoma but we are we did our best to make oklahoma look look good and i uh, hopefully we we succeeded uh yes definitely uh one of the striking features for the veil in my opinion were the scenery and i was curious to find out where this was filmed at <laughs> Yeah, no, o Oklahoma, yeah. So, I mean, the the look and style, you know, there were, we did a little, like, very, very little, like, kind of set extensions and, and put, put a couple little hills in the background. But it, um, yeah, it's just really cool kind of pockets of Oklahoma that had, had these awesome locations, Turner Falls, which is a state park, and, and Red Rock Canyon, and, and then just, um, and it turned out really well. Nice, nice. And as I mentioned, the veil offers some stunning shots. So please share some insight on one or two particular scenes that you feel as a director stands out visually. I mean, visual, uh, visually, I mean, I worked with, you know, my, my DP, Tom Marvel. We had done some, some shorts together. And, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple different, uh, different scenes. Uh, you know, hopefully the the landscape kind of, you know, the, the idea was that it would kind of reflect the the emotion. So, I mean, for most people who probably haven't seen the film yet, there's, you know, a, a new area where Warrior, our, our, our main character, comes into that, that kind of defines a new way of living. And then at the same time, hopefully visually showing that with a change of, of scenery where, you know, the film opens up on this uh, desert, desolate-looking uh, battle scene, which which kind of reflects where he's at emotionally, and then and then coming into this kind of new way of living with with this you know represented by waterfalls and greenery and, and this this kind of beautiful tribe and where they're living, you know. So ho hopefully the you know it's not just pretty or or desolate or dark for for that sake, but also 
you know, the, the, the intention was to help help drive the story with the, the location and, and scenery as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I did get that impression, especially when he was uh, near the water, uh, which uh, demonstrates a resurrection type of uh, aesthetic to the character. That's what the scene was projecting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how did you become involved on directing The Veil? Well, I mean, is is, is a, a, a the genesis is a pretty long story. I mean, I went and worked on my first movie when I was in college. Had no interest in the movie business, no interest in making movies. Just just being from Oklahoma it was never really something I I thought of. But when I had this opportunity to work on a movie, I I went not because I wanted to be in the movie business, but because I thought it'd be you know a, a kind of a interesting, fun vacation job, you know. And then I caught I caught the the film bug. So. Working on that film, I, I, I from that point, I always wanted to do, like most people, a narrative feature. Um, but you know, that that's not something you can just go out by yourself and do. It takes tons of people and money and time and a great story. So it's kind of a, a a process of working towards that. So I worked for five years in the industry, just you know, learning everything I needed to know, which is kind of like my my film school. I started Toy Gun Films with my producing partner Jeff Goldberg, and then we started doing these kind of bigger budget narrative shorts. And so we did four of those over four years. So that kind of got us, you know, the the technical relationship, you know, financial skills we needed to to do a feature. And during that process, I, I'd been looking for because uh, I'm not a writer, I'm a director, producer. So I, I'd been looking for a script, you know, that that worked for me that I thought, you know, <clears throat> was a reflection of kind of what I wanted to do. And we just couldn't find anything that fit either. You know, either the budget was too big, you know, maybe it was a, a film that would need $20 million. Well, that's not going to be my first feature. So um, a couple of years into looking for uh, starting Toy Gun, after a couple of years of looking for a script and, and meeting with agencies and, and seeing, you know, we just couldn't find anything that was good or, you know, and that fit fit with what we wanted to do. So we started developing our own thing. And that's kind of what I talked about at the beginning with Oklahoma is we started looking, okay, what, what do we have to our advantage, you know, that we can use because we're going to need everything we can get. So it's like, okay, well, Oklahoma is a great 37% cash back rebate program. Okay, well, there's essentially, you know, 25% of the budget is taken care of right there. And then, so, okay, if we're going to shoot in Oklahoma, well, what kind of stories would fit Oklahoma? Um, so then that's where we went out and found these locations and developed the script, you know, around those locations. So, you know, that that's kind of the genesis of it, you know, and I I think it's, you just have to do something, especially for, for a first-time feature director like myself or anyone else trying to get it off the ground. You, you got to do something where, I mean, it's so hard to do, you, you need some things going your way, you know, so it's kind of, almost the same as write what you know it's 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 you know shoot something that's attainable you know it's, it's kind of like the same <clears throat> motto but for for producing you know go, go somewhere where you know you can get some free locations and you can get some help from people and you can get you know you have people that can pitch in and you know and, and help you you know try and get it off the ground so that that was kind of the, the genesis you know and so it's kind of a, a, a in a roundabout way it was a 10 year process but you know like probably 3 years intense you know, thinking about it, hey, what's our feature going to be? Okay, you know, we we tried a bunch of things in modern day story. We went, you know, we wanted some action. You know, so it just it just developed it that way. Wow, that's that's fascinating. It's very interesting to see how, uh, from an indie perspective, you utilize all the resources you have available to get this project off the ground. And that's one of the most complicated things, especially in this industry. 
Yeah, no, even, you know, even, even getting it off the ground, I mean, this was a really ambitious story and could have used a lot more budget and we probably bit off even more, more than we can chew. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, Oklahoma was great. The people here were great. The film office was so supportive, helping find locations and getting us permits and, and the locations they got us for, we kind of shot like after the summer season. So the, these locations were temporarily closed to the public anyway. So uh, they helped us get those for super cheap. So if it wasn't for all those things, there's no way we could have, could have, you know, pulled off what we did on the budget we had. Right. And <clears throat> the the set design was phenomenal in emulating the the fantasy area. So can you please share some insight on the crew that really put all these things, all these sets together? Yeah, no, I mean, that was our production designer, Tyler Denson. We had, I just worked with him on a short previously and um he's really able to do a lot with a little cuz his his budget was just i mean again we it was probably a mistake to even try to do this film with the budget we had but we you know sometimes being my naive you just you just go for it so i mean he was really able to pull uh, a lot of stuff off he he's from LA so we brought him in and um and then his whole crew was was local so it was again just finding people who you know, had been in Oklahoma for 20, 30 years making movies that, you know, knew where they could go find like these cool tree stumps or, you know, or, or builders to add on uh, to kind of the sets we had, you know, so we had to utilize some like existing infrastructure. Uh, so we did, a you know, for, for the <clears throat> kind of in scene without giving too much stuff away, there's, you know, a castle like structure. Well, well, that was that was already built and we found that and then we added on to it, you know, so we added some of the wood features and and, and had to be strategic because obviously there was no there's no money to build even even really sets. So we had an interior day where we built you know a couple little sets, but not like these exterior sets that the script really called for. So it was just a lot of people being very strategic and smart and creative, and you know and utilizing um, utilizing the little bit we did have and um, and the crew in Oklahoma that just you know, really put a lot into to making this. And I think they saw like what we wanted to do and how we were going to show Oklahoma. And, um, you know, Oklahoma was going to, you know, sometimes the movies, you know, portray Oklahoma maybe in a, a you know, neutral or negative way, but this was going to show Oklahoma being beautiful. And so everyone, you know, gave 110% to it. And um, without it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be half of what it was. Oh, wow. Uh, that, my mind is blown right now because I thought that castle-like structure was actually uh, a build for the for the set. Wow. Yeah, impressive. I mean, I mean, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, but yeah, no, it was it was like so that that structure you saw, like it, basically, an eccentric doctor had built that in like the in the tw in like twenties or thirties or something, and so they just it, it got eaten up into a state park and they just kept the structure there because it's kind of cool so we came in and built onto it so that we we extended it doesn't look like if you went back and looked at it you'd be like oh this is it you know like <laughs> it's not as impressive as you know the camera can make it look but yeah so we went in and had our builders go out there and add on to it you know um some of the features that the park actually likes so much because it looks so much better they they kept so there's like some wood features and stuff but you know um yeah but it's, it's little things like that where a build like that would be you know 50 yeah. 100 easily could be two hundred thousand dollar build you know, exactly. that's just, I mean, literally cost us, 
you know, a couple, a couple, you know, just some wood, you know, we just add on to it and then you get a lot of production value out of that. So it, you have to do little things like that at every turn uh, on a, on an indie production like this to, to even kind of have a chance. Wow. Inter very interesting. Very interesting. And um, there were some scenes that seemed to have a limited in space. Was this the case or if not, what were some limitations on filming on this location? Yeah, the, the, the hardest part was just time. You know, like we did all this in 23 days. Like I said, the script was very ambitious. There's a lot of action scenes that kind of that all you know took up whole days trying to do these action scenes and 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 be safe doing those. Um, so it's just it was just trying to cram, you know, that much kind of action uh, and and exterior stuff. So like I said, for the 23 days, 21 of them were outside in Oklahoma. The weather can get uh, squirrely pretty quick. So we started. And it was like, you know, 80 degrees and sunny. And when we finished the day before Thanksgiving, it, it it snowed. So like one day it snowed and sleeted so much that the camera froze. So we only got like two hours of shooting in. So it's just, you know, it, that, I think that's the biggest difference. Cause I, I've been able to produce some bigger movies. Uh, you know, you kind of run into this, all the same challenges. But on a bigger budget, you're really buying time, you know, time to develop the scenes and, and shoot things out and, and reshoot things and um, – you know, on an indie production, you just you get one shot at it. You know, and if if you missed it, which happens, then you're just scrambling trying to figure out. Okay, we lost the scene. Now, you know, what do we do? Do we have to rewrite a scene? Do we put the information into another scene? Um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's just a, it's just a race against the clock on, on a budget like this. Mm, wow. <coughs> Excuse me. And in Act Three, viewers would become immersed in, in a nighttime scene which differs from act one and act uh two uh here we see some dominant lighting we also see some cgi influences uh please share how you wanted these segments to differ from the first two scenes yeah i mean the, we wanted the final act to kind of you know like go into this this like that castle location and and it's a you know it's a it's a return for the for the lead, trying not to get too much away, return for the lead character kind of back into to a um, to a world that he knows uh, that he used to know that he kind of has to face. So, you know, we wanted the tone, the lighting, the mood, the the, the you know the smoke, the ambiance to kind of to fill that darkness and 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 the tension of you know could he overcome that or not? You know, and um, of course you have to watch the movie to to, to find out, but. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of what we wanted Act Three to to portray. Mm. And a funny thing is, when I was watching the film, my wife she immediately recognized the actor William Levy from his yeah, telenovela. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, "Oh, that's a telenovela actor." I'm like, I, "I don't know. I have to check this IMDb to to verify." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he, William. William is, you know, a huge telenovela star or was, and he has been crossing over. And my, my, uh, my, the uh, Jeff Goldberg, my producing partner and the writer of the Veil, had had always like known of William and had some mutual friends, and and always thought that like you know he was going to be a huge star and and um, and had like a lot of talent. And even doing the telenovelas, like he could he could see that there was like a lot of talent there. So he actually really wrote the script with him in mind. And, um, you know, I kind of, I, I, you know, I don't watch 
uh, novellas. So I, I didn't really know who he was. Um, but once I met William, I realized like he was perfect for this character. And he's obviously gone on to do Resident Evil, and he's been in some other U.S. productions. He's crossing over, you know, right now and and doing like other other kind of more you know English based uh, U.S. productions. Uh, but yeah, he was great. And 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 even the telenovelas, I gave him, you know, a lot of experience. So there, he, there was no situation we could put him in that he hadn't already faced. So we had him, you know, jumping in the water when it was freezing cold, doing fight scenes at night with his, with his, you know, his shirt off and all this, all this like intense action. But having done novellas, he, he, he like, you know, couldn't phase him. You know, c- c- compared to what they try to crank out on those types of shows. So it was great having him. He was. You know, he was great, always showed up on time, ready to go, always knew his lines. So, like, memorizing lines, no issue for him. He knew everyone else's lines and, and even little technical stuff. He's very technical. Like, he would he would know, like, if you we were crossing the line with the camera and caught us doing that a couple of times just because on telenovelas, like, what they're trying to do so much with the limited crew on those as well, like, he would have to basically watch out for himself, you know, to so make sure that he, you know, looked, you know, was looking the right way and, and wouldn't look silly. So... He was great. He he was perfect perfect to play the 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 warrior character and has become like a good friend and and uh, couldn't imagine anyone else doing it. Yeah, that's cool. And in my opinion, I find it amazing to see a Latino in the lead. Uh, what's your opinion on Latinos not taking part in leads but taking over the leads? Well, that's what really drew him to this because at the time he was with, you know, CAA, big agency, and they were, you know, wanted, they don't want to do indie projects. It's not like really worth their time. But for William, it was just about, you know, putting him in the lead, you know, and not having him play like a, the typical type of role. So that that's another way we were able to get William because, I mean, a lot of productions want William. A lot of people know he has a huge fan base. So, for us, it was we were offering him the chance to be, you know, an action star, you know, and like no one else was offering him that, and that that's kind of how we got him, you know, and and my producing partner Jeff is, you know, his his wife is Guatemalan, so he's like really kind of plugged in and, and loves you know Latin content and watching telenovelas and 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 knows that there's a huge audience for it that's kind of underserved, and so that was one of the reasons we were thinking, you know, that that William would be great because you know he has a huge following, but we don't want to see him kind of doing the same, same typical things that he's he's done doing telenovelas. He's already done that, you know. He he did that. It was a, a season. He made a lot of money off of it. it. Was great, but now he wants to do something else and show show a different side. So that was one of the exciting things to see uh, him uh, be able to you know do more action oriented. Uh, roles which what he wanted to do which made him so excited to do the veil like he he was the most excited one on on the set you know like um so that was great so that that kind of created like a great vibe and an atmosphere when your lead actor like wants to be there and is happy for this like opportunity to do something different and so he brought a you know 110 percent every day and that that always trickles down from the you know if the leads if your lead your movie's like on point and excited and and that just spreads to the rest of the crew and the other actors. So it was it was great. Definitely. And um, one thing one thing that really stands out for the film The Veil is that the characters are down to earth uh, in comparison to fantasy films back in the eighties and nineties. You see this big 
you know, main characters or big burly guys. And this one is like more down to earth, more direct. Uh, thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, we tried to try to set a, a, you know, a little bit in the fantasy world, of course, unknown time and place and these kind of these worlds. But at the same time, like you said, trying to ground it in reality. And like, obviously, this is a story that we wrote and is not not true, not a true story. It's a um, but we tried to try to base like all the characters like you know we did a lot of research into some Native American culture and 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 research into Aztec culture and, and try to kind of root it in, in reality uh, and, and connect the drama and the and the story to that you know so hopefully the characters are are, are not caricatures but characters and more relatable um, so I love that you picked up on that or, or had that note that's awesome yeah they they they're each of them are the main cast. They're all very relatable in a sense that you have retribution, you have anger, you have uh, grief. So these are all human emotions that the audience would definitely pick up on. That's great. I lo- that's amazing. So, I mean, a lot of that, too, is the actors. You know what I mean? So it's William Levy, William Mosley, and Sorinda Swan, the, the, and, and even Nick Terabay. Um, you know, the lead actors, and they really bring that to life, you know, so writing it is one thing, and but an actor bringing it to life is, is amazing. I mean, Jeff did a great job r- trying to write, you know, not just one-dimensional characters. There's, you know, this wasn't supposed to be, this guy's good, this guy's bad, you know, he saves her in the story, you know, so we wanted to have something, you know, the goal was, you know, to a little, something a little more complicated, where even the, the arc of our characters, you know, are, are basically intersecting so as as one character kind of rises another character is falling you know so um and that's kind of true to to um to real life you know there's there's no one's ever always good or always bad you know it's always kind of a mixture and it's kind of more about where you're going not where you are so um i'm glad that kind of came through i'm good that's awesome yeah and um from a personal development standpoint you began your film a career with shorts and producing. Did you visualize creating a full feature and has this vision turned out the way as you expected it to be? Um, yes and no. I mean, there's some things, especially being my my first, that that just didn't get realized the way you want. I think that <laughs> happens with everyone. I mean, I think as a filmmaker, the ultimate goal is to get like what you have in your head, like on screen. You know, and I think to get to that, you're probably going to need, you know, huge cast and huge budget, which which we had a great cast, but not a huge cast. And we had a we had a budget, but not a huge budget. So, you know, there's always sacrifices to be made. So it's 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 trying to sacrifice as least as possible and get the vision out in your head. So for me, I think, you know, look, I, I had an amazing experience doing it. I think it's a, a great kind of first feature, first step for me. But I have so much more of that kind of I want to accomplish and, and say, and, um, you know, I think it'll take, you know, it may take five, six, seven movies for us to to grow to where we can, you know, maybe get exactly what we have in our head on, on the screen. But I think visually, um, you know, in production design wise and acting, you know, I think we did a great job with, with what we have and I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of it, but I still feel like I got a lot more, growing to do and obviously even just from doing this project even even when we we wrapped like the next day I was like okay I'm ready to make another feature I just you know I learned so much you know so it's just 
for me, the process of doing the three shorts that I directed and then now doing this, it's just, you know, little steps, little steps, little steps. And, and hopefully maybe, you know, in 20, 30 years, I can, I can, I can make that, that masterpiece, but I just, I got so much more to learn and, and hopefully we can make some good films along the way, but um, it was an incredible experience. And, you know, I look forward to, or I am looking forward to and, and doing and making more. Right. And of course, it's all a learning process. And we look back, we don't dwell on, on the past, but we learn from it. And we evolve. That's that's the beauty of this this artwork and art form. Yeah, you got to keep moving forward. You know, for me, it's like, you know, I, I worked on this film for so long and uh, we edited the editing process took forever trying to get the story the best we could and adding on some reshoots and just doing everything we could. And then, but now it's kind of, now it's coming out time to kind of, kind of move on and keep going. And you can easily get worried at like, you know, how's the movie doing or what are the reviews? You know, for me, I just have to shut all that out and just go make another movie, you know, and just keep making them and keep making them. And, you know, for me, it's the process of doing the work and, and being on set that I love so much, you know, so it's just getting back to that. So, um, you know, I think if we just kind of keep our head down and, and keep, you know, trying to do good work and, and doing our best and learning and growing, you know, eventually we'll hopefully pop our head up in 20, 30 years and we'll, we'll be where we wanted to go. But it's, uh, you know, a bunch of little steps along the way that kind of get you there. Exactly. And of course, you founded Toy Gun Films. So what would be the target genres for the company? Well, yeah, I get asked that a lot. I mean, for me, it's just kind of I want to as a be kind of almost like a fetish filmmaker. I want to make films I want to see. So, you know, I personally have a wide variety of, of films I like. You know, so whether it's you know kind of action fantasy, which I love, or action thriller, um, or even just you know straight dramas. You know, for for me, it's 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 uh less about saying like oh we want to do action fantasy sci-fi and we want to be known just for that um it's it's a little bit broader just kind of reflects like i just want to tell great stories you know mm -hmm. when there could be you know a, a sports story and, and and maybe the format is documentary you know and maybe that's the best way to tell that story so it's just kind of whatever i get interested in which is is why i like filmmaking so much is like you get to explore uh, a certain area uh, intensely for a couple of years, and then and then you move on to something different. So, um, you know, for this this project of L, we looked into Native American culture, and I studied Oklahoma, and I I studied we looked into the Aztec culture, and uh, looked into sword making, and, uh, and and kind of all these, you know, even we looked into some some physics things about black holes and all, all kinds of stuff. So that was great, and and um, I learned so much. But then now, you know, I'm looking at a couple other projects which are totally different, but then you get to learn about that. I think that's the fun part. Um, so at the end of the day, it's just, you know, is it a story story worth telling? And, you know, for if it's a script, if it's, if it's, if it's well written, then, then I'll do it. You know, and there's only probably only a couple of genres I, I wouldn't do. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just kind of whatever, whatever I get excited about, uh, but definitely action fantasy sci-fi thriller crime you know I, I, crime drama I, I love that kind of stuff so hopefully there'll be a lot more of that uh mixed in with some, some different things every now and then just to, to mix it up and keep it fresh right right cool and uh to touch on the the genres you wouldn't do I, i'm assuming romantic comedies is one of them correct <laughs> 
You know, I, I, I say that, you know, but then I'm watching <laughs> me do a romantic comedy next or something, you know, like if the script was great, right, then uh-huh. I would I would do it. You know, like there's are some romantic comedies that are I think are funny and are good, you know, or like even like, you know, musicals would not be my thing necessarily. I'm not partially because I'm like tone deaf and I, you know, but, you know, you see funny movie every now and then like, you know, that make you think, oh, you know, maybe, you know, so you know, I, I learned never say never. If if I say something that I don't want to do, I'll end up doing it and looking like a fool. So you never know. You never know. But there's definitely the things I gravitate towards and the, and the films that I like, you know, so, um, and that would kind of be in the vein of the veil or uh, you know, action, adventure. I mean, at the end of the day, I love drama. So I think what we're looking for is to tell tell dramas with genre elements, whether that be action or thriller. Because um, I think the best movies, you know, have that, you know, have these genre elements in it. But at the end of the day, the story has to be, you know, great and interesting. And I think that's what we're we're trying to do with the veil and learning and hopefully getting better. Um, but, uh, you know, I think if you can get like a cool whether it be heist or action, fantasy, sci-fi film that has a great story with it and you can marry the two together, then that's when you can get that home run, you know? So that's what we're trying to do is, is you know, if I did an action film, if it's all action for action's sake, I mean, it, it can be cool and, and, and fun to watch for a while, but if the story isn't great, then it's just not going to work. But when you get those, you know, those two things working together, then that's when that's when the magic happens and, and that's hard to do, so... We're, we'll, we'll, we're going to keep trying until we can, can figure it out. Exactly. And, of course, uh, to close out the interview, the platform is open. You care to share some more information, you know, the social networking, uh, the release for The Veil, anything that comes to mind? Yeah, The Veil is releasing. I mean, we're talking now. I don't know when people listen, but it'll release August 11th, which is this Friday, so a couple of days. Um, it's releasing in 11 theaters. They're AMC theaters, so New York, L.A., uh, my home state of Oklahoma and several other places. If you if you if you want to try and catch it on the big screen, um, at the same time it's releasing VOD. So I know the iTunes pre-order is up, so you can pre-order now and download it on uh, Friday. And then I think all the t- kind of traditional VOD platforms you'll be on, whether you know the PlayStation, all these different ones. So you should should be able to find it pretty easily. Um, and then. You know, our, my production company is Toy Gun Films, and, and my social stuff is all all Brent Ryan Green. That's my kind of full names so on all the you know all the all the platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and and we'll update about uh, other projects, got other stuff in production now. So, um, so yeah, so that's where they can check out the veil and and, and stay updated. Oh, thank you, and once again, thank you for your time, and thank you for these wonderful uh, information and and responses to these questions. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It's you know, it's it's stuff like this and and getting the word out to listeners because there's there's so much stuff out there, you know, that to to watch. So you know, things like this like really help help give us a chance and get get exposure so people can you know see this movie and and hopefully track with us and and see some more movies to come in the future. So really appreciate it. You're very much welcome, and also best of luck to your future endeavors. Thank you so much. Oh, hopefully we'll 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 talk soon on on those too. So look oh. forward to that. Look for, looking forward to that as well. Thanks. All right. Take it easy until then. Exclusive interview. Peter Macaron, director, writer, the quacky slasher. It was a time of chaos. 
when crime ruled the streets. One man will rise up to strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. One man will become a duck. Oh my gosh, it is going to be extremely difficult to <laughs> introduce our next segment without bursting in laughter. And that's that's not saying it in a bad way. This is a very comical horror throwback to nostalgic era of horror films. I had the pleasure to speak with the quacky slasher <coughs> director writer Peter McKeerian. In the past, we covered McKeerian's other horror projects, the web series titled Dead Town. And there is also a novel tie-in to that web series. With the quacky slasher, McKeerian ventured into a short film medium. The synopsis for the quacky slasher reads as follows. Michael Quackers has spent 20 years in a psychiatric ward <coughs> returning home to fight the criminal underbelly of his town. Michael must become the one thing that scares him most if he is to succeed. He must become a duck. Quack, quack. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow, um, Stacy, have you seen the trailer for the Quacky Slasher? I have. Um, is this interesting? <laughs> <laughs> Please explain to me what was the issue that the guy had with the bear? They had to kick it so many times. <laughs> well, I would explain the character that is kicking the bear, which is Winnie the Pooh. He is one of the bad guys, not to reveal too much. And the name of that character is the Wet Dream. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna get wet of laughing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stacy's having fun with this segment here. That goes to show you the comedic element that Peter McKeeran, uh he infused in the quacky slasher. Quack, quack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a horror film. It's a comedy first, horror second. And as I mentioned before, the quacky slasher touches on throwback era of horror films. And for those who are young enough to uh, are familiar with, that type of era had the cheesy dialogue and the weird storylines. And the cinematography was, you know, crazy and, and goofy in a creative way. And this is what we see in the Quacky Slasher. So definitely check it out. It is on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so if you enjoy com British comedy with horror I think I think this is gonna be a, an, an iconic franchise right here. You have an iconic character with the quacky slasher. Quack quack. <laughs> <laughs> the 
Don't you agree, Stacy? I mean, he's like, who would have thought a duck? Really? No, I wouldn't have thought of that. No. Up, quack, quack. Remember, I said in uh, the personal that it kind of reminded me of uh, like Michael Myers with a duck. Face. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is it like, does it kind of like. You know, not tie into, but uh, we're like reference. Yes, it does. It does. Yeah, it references other heart. If you have to watch the film, and you're gonna see some references there. They have uh, in the opening scene to Act One. They have some references to Jason and Michael Myers. And then, of course, the, the character, he, he has resemblance to uh, Michael Myers. And, but, oh, man, it just it is it's so funny. I describe the film as uh, a what-the-fuck film. Meaning, you're watching it, and you're like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> but in a good way, you know, not in a bad way. It's a good way. You know, you, you feel entertained. And, you know, you have to have... Uh, uh, a big vision to portray a, a duck as a serial killer. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That is a good... I find it to be very innovative. And, and you know, it's pretty cool. It's pretty. It's bold. You don't see that around. No. Everybody takes slashes too seriously. Don't you agree, right? Every, all the slashes are too serious. Mm-hmm. You know? This should make some weird look fun. Are supposed to be serious? Quack, quack! Are supposed to be serious? Yeah, of course. Yeah, but now you don't see Slasher the same way again after watching the Quacky Slasher. Well, I love that tagline, Don't Fuck With The Duck. Don't Fuck With The Duck. <laughs> <laughs> I love the That is cool. Of course, it don't quack with the duck. I don't know. <laughs> Do not sleep with the quack quack. Little... <laughs> it could have been a little sly with it, but you know. yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it and the the movie poster. I enjoyed the movie poster too. It the artwork is original. Come on, oh, man. I I think this could be a a good feature film. You know, if they expanded, and mind you, in the interview. Uh, he'll be discussing uh, the cost of the film, how the film was made in under a tight budget. So yeah, quacky slasher. Oh my gosh, watch it. I mean, good, clean British comedy and horror. And without further ado, here is my interview with director-writer Peter McKiernan. Uh, my name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. And joining me this afternoon for this interview is writer, director, Peter McKiernan. And he'll be discussing his latest project, the comedy horror short, The Quacky Slasher. Thank you, Mr. McKiernan, for your time and for this interview. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for um, thanks for chatting to me. Looking forward to this. Thank you. And I'll open up with this first question. And this is a business question. 
filmmaking is a business and as a filmmaker there's always the requirement to think outside the box describe how the quacky slasher fits this protocol uh well where i um, co-own um a production company called slumberjack entertainment um completely independent of any kind of other um production companies or any kind of money coming in everything every kind of every bit of money every bit of equipment we have to find ourselves um the quacky slasher started off as a 14 second horror film called uh, foul play which was basically this the story of um, a serial killer with a duck mask and a um, he rescues a kidnapped girl from the back of a car and um, from that we then developed it into um, the quacky slasher the short film and we did a crowdfunding campaign to raise the money to, to make that. And we were looking for three grand to, to make that film. Uh, we, we got £900. So that was, it, it didn't work out as we wanted it to. Um, not one for trying, but it, it, didn't, it didn't work out. We didn't get the money needed. So we then had to adapt. And um, we decided whatever budget we got for this film, we were going to make it regardless. Um, one of the, the things that we, we do as a production company is every project that we do, every funding that we, that we do, we invest into the company. So we buy our own equipment, we buy props, we um, um, it, just invest really, invest in. So every, everything that we do, we can then take forward into the next one. So when we started the Quacky Slasher, we were in a very good position. We had um, good camera equipment, we had um, good sound equipment, we had a dedicated crew and cast who had worked with us before. So that really helped with the budget but yeah it's uh, as you said you, you need money to make these things um and when that money doesn't come in you really have to as you said think outside the box there's a scene in the quacky slasher where he chops off the head of uh, not to give too many spoilers away but he chops off the head of one one of the bad guys now that head is used in the film good tidings um which um some of you some of your listeners some of your viewers may have readers may have seen um and the guy that did the special effects for that film also did the special effects on another project of, of ours, which is called Dead Town. So we contacted him, Andy Savage, and said, can we use, we haven't got, you know, we need this prop, we don't have any money to get one made, can we use the head? Um, it's the same actor from the film, and he was like, yeah, of course, yeah, you can you can come and borrow it, just don't break it. So we, we borrowed that for a, for a couple of hours and um, g g give it him back um, a couple of days later. So that would, I mean, if, if we would have gone and got the, the actor's head cast, it, it would have cost. It would have took a big chunk out of the budget that we had. So, um, pulling in favors like that and having and having contacts from other production companies and special effects artists, it's it's really good, really good for us. Oh wow, that's that's very interesting. So, <clears throat> you would say as a filmmaker, and as from a business perspective, it is very important to adapt to what is being presented to you. And in this case, it was a micro budget. Yeah, I mean, when I when I when I'm ever I'm writing a project, um, I, I I think about what limitations we're going to have, and I always um, write. Normally, I write for the the worst case scenario, which will be um, a zero budget. Um, when we made Dead Town, um, the first episode, we had forty pound to make the first episode for that. Everybody involved. Uh, give up their time, their resources, everything for free, um, which is why it, it looks, you know, it, it looks, um, it, it looks good for a, for the the money that we had to make that on. Um, so when when I come to write now, um, I'm fully aware that the films that we make are, are low budget, and you know you can do crowdfunders and you can go and and ask people to um, back the film to maybe offer them. 
you know, you give us money, we'll advertise you in the film, or you know, like, and we will put your company logo in the credits and things. But when you're dealing with um, short films and films that aren't necessarily going to get a distribution deal um, for investors, there's, there's no real comeback on that. So with crowdfunding, you know, you can offer them perks, um, so they, they, they get they get things for the money. But yeah, it's it's a business. But when it's um, it's like a You've got to do it with you've got to have with love um, film. So you have love in your heart for the film that you want to make, and you've got to um, want to invest in that and and not expect to make a profit out out the back of it. So um, every, everything we we've never made any money out of it, and, and anything that we do. I mean, we we do short films, um, the web series. We run a film festival. Um, everything we do is to promote independent film and to to carry on making low budget films but at um maybe a, a standard which is above when when people see the money that's spent on it they'll go oh really because oh, we, we like to, sit, to try and push it as far as we can on the on the money that we do have that's great and you bring up a, a very important uh point is to do what you love i hear a lot of business people motivational speakers they always emphasize you have to do what you love because once you lose that affection for the art, it, it becomes something different. It becomes like an obstacle, and then you don't have that drive, and then your product doesn't take off. You, you believe in that 100%. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. It becomes the day job, um, the day job that you hate doing, the day job that just you, you just do to, to get the money coming in, but your heart's not really in it. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm a, a, we, I co-own um, Slumberjack Entertainment with Rod Hay, my uh, my business partner. Um, I'm an author, so I, I write books, um, I write scripts. We do um, web series, short films. We're looking at doing a feature film in in the future, um, and I work full time as well. So um, the the full time job is the the job where the maybe you know like it's not something you love, but it's something that you have to do to pay the bills and support your family. But then the film side of it and the writing side of it and with the books and, and whatnot and everything else, that's where that's where the love is, you know, and, and that's where it's... Um, I think it comes through as well with, if you watch... The, the, you can see the fun um, in, the, in, the, in the things that we do and that people involved. I mean, everybody involved in everything that we do does so out of their own free will. Um, they, they, we don't... Um, we're not in a position to pay them yet. We're not in a position to to offer them kind of expenses yet because we do things on such a low budget. But yeah, the, the people that we work with, and you, you, you've seen some of some of the, the films that we've done. It we have, we use the same crew, the same cast. You'll recognise a few faces. They want to come back and carry on working with us because they enjoy. It's a good atmosphere on set. Everybody has fun, and everybody um, gets what we're trying to do, and that's that's important. Right. So with restrictions and obstacles that come with any project, Dead Town, The Quacky Slasher, what is your drive as a filmmaker to bring these products to the spotlight? Um, my drive is to, I, I personally, it's a difficult, there's, few, there's a few different reasons why I do it. One, I do it to stay sane. If I, if I wasn't being creative and doing this type of thing, I would I would probably I don't know I'd have had a breakdown by now. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's um, I can't for any kind of creative person if you're not being creative, it's the worst thing in the world. And I, I went through my twenties um, not really being that creative, um, and I'm making up for it now. So I'm, I'm really it's it's a it's a great stress relief 
um, to do that type of stuff. And I just, like, when when Dead Town started, I mean, all I ever wanted to do was write. And then when we started doing Dead Town, um, I started directing. And then it's kind of just snowballed from there. And I love every little aspect of filmmaking. I love um, when you're writing, you're on your own. It's a very insular thing. I'm on my own. I really enjoy that. I, I don't know why. It's, it's just, I think anyone who enjoys um, writing is a bit strange, to be honest. It's a very singular thing that you do on your own unless you're in a partnership. And then on the flip side of that, you go from being on your own writing the script to being with a group of people and you're out filming and there's, there's the... Um, the banter and the laughs and the and the fun that everybody has and everybody has an input and things develop and change on set and I love all that and then I come back home and then I'm back on my own again editing so like and, and do, um, doing that side of things and I don't know there's a kind of I think the goal behind doing stuff is I'd I want to show that you don't need a lot of money you don't need um, the Put the, you know, like top of the range equipment to, to do what you do. Although we have got some good gear, it's just um, if you've got the the drive to see it through and the love to see it through, and you've got the the right support network around, you've got the right team working with you, and they're all working together towards the one goal that you could, you can actually create something fun that people will enjoy. Absolutely, I agree. And of course, I, I've seen the Quacky Slasher reviewed it. Uh, my my curiosity is when designing the Quacky Slasher with this comedic tone what was the intent the artistic goal for horror for the horror aspect of it was very much i mean i i grew up watching um, um slasher movies and b movies from the 80s um i remember my dad getting um a what's over it's called sky tv it's cable tv for the first time and i think it was like 1991, 1990, when he got that, and suddenly, you know, I'm 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 at my dad's house, and my, and we've got access to all these channels, show, and and they're all fighting for content, so they're putting anything on. So you find channels that are just showing trauma movies, and they're just showing old Godzilla movies, and then you know, um, this this like I'm what I'm watching Poltergeist in German, even though I can't understand it, and I was like about nine nine years old at the time. And um, I'm just—it's absolutely amazing. And I'm watching all these old horror films, and so like the horror aspect of the Quacky Slasher is very much influenced by everything that I loved growing up. So you've got like these—it's very evident that there's a John Carpenter influence in there. You can tell from um, from the clothes um, and the stalker type style of him that it's very much Michael Myers. Um, the um, there's a couple of gags in there where he's you know like these each. He takes a gun off somebody and blows a hole through the, the middle of the guy's head, um, and that's kind of that's just something I've I've had I've wanted to do that for ages. Not not real, you know. What I, mean? <laughs> I don't really want to blow a hole in someone's head, but you know, it's 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 a joke. I, I, I want originally it was meant for Dead Town where um, they was going to punch a zombie in the head and his fist was going to go straight through, and then he was going to have, have a look look through the camera and then and do that. We may still do that at one point. I don't know. And then it, it changed, and then. Um, I, I always thought, I mean, I'm not a special effects guy. I'm not a practical effects guy. I don't really understand the ins and outs of it. That's for some for people much more talented than me. So I always thought it would cost an absolute fortune. And then when we were coming to do the Quacky Slasher, Paul Fair, who did the, the special effects for that, um, I told him what I wanted to do, and he said, just get me a polystyrene head. So I got a polystyrene head that cost £3 uh, from eBay. We got that, we got that delivered. And he just basically punched a hole in it. Um, put some latex around it. Luckily, the, act, the actor was bald, so we didn't have to worry with about any hair or anything. And then he filled it with Muller light yogurt and some blood. Wow. <laughs> so it's like 
like it's full of like rice pudding was it was in there so it's like dripping down and we and it and when the camera's up close close on it it look it looks really good um but the 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 kind of the horror is very secondary in the in the quacky slasher there's a much more comedic feel with 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 this than anything else but the 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 horror is very much it's very john carpenter influenced it's very um halloween um anything from you know like you got friday the 13th bits in there um especially with a little bit of the music that you can hear and so it's it's kind of it's 80 slasher movies is where i've where i've gone from there with a little bit of b movie fun thrown in yeah it's just it's quite enjoyable and as i had mentioned before the quacky slasher is a film that it thinks us outside the box um yesterday i was talking with my colleagues i was we were stating slasher films are so serious and watching the quacky slash it just takes all the seriousness out and you just enjoy the film how it's supposed yeah. to be it's just very comedic it, get, it gets better the more you watch it as well so, <laughs> so you watch it a few times it gets more fun i mean it's it's purposely meant to look silly it's purposely meant to look um low budget even though we've got like we've got like some great drone tr- shots we used a drone for the opening sequence in there um it's meant to be over the top ridiculous badly acted everything is, is done on purpose there's there's a scene in there where um, you see the two police officers for the first time and i purposely went with female police officers just to try and um flip that on its side i think on its head i think people would mostly expect that they would be bumbling male police officers detectives trying to hunt down the quacky slasher so i wanted to put two um female um characters in there and just flip it around and then there's, there's a scene where they, they, they get the, they're there at the foot the um, there's the first dead body and they're trying to assess the scene you got two CSI guys and um, they're taking pictures of the body and the lens caps are on the cameras I don't know if you notice but if you, if you watch it back the lens caps are, are on the cameras oh. and while we were filming they, while we were filming they were, they were clicking away and I said put the lens caps on the cameras and one of the production crew said but why would they have lens caps on the cameras and I went because it's ridiculous you know, put, put them on it's quite obvious and they're not really CSI guys as you find out so right uh, uh, yeah, these old it, it's it's daft. I mean, there's there's a lot of my other influence um, is alternative comedy, um, which in Britain in the eighties and nineties was a big thing. Um, we have I don't know if you're familiar with um, British comedy from from that era. We did, but it's it was um, sweary. There was lots of swear words in there. There was lots of violence in there. Um, it was very non PC and um, it was ridiculous and there was no kind of rules with tv at that point um with with british tv we started in the 80s we 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 started off with three channels and then we went up to four tv channels and they were looking for content and so they put anything on and um, it kind of the rules of comedy developed on from late 70s 80s to what to the kind of thing that we have now but at the time it was kind of anything goes and so you saw lots of weird and wonderful things. We had the young ones, um, the comic strip presents, and then going into the nineties, you have the League of Gentlemen, which is is something I suggest you check out if you like your horror comedy and you like your dark comedy. The League of Gentlemen is absolutely fantastic if you can find that over there, um, and that's very much where the comedy influences come from as well. Oh, great, I'm going to look into that. And um, now let's discuss your other project, uh, Dead Town. Uh, what yeah. is the status of this comedy zombie web series? Well, series one, um, we released the last episode of series one last year and then went straight into the quacky slasher. So um, it was a three-part series for the first series. We did a crowdfunder again. We looked, uh, we raised, um, I think it was just under £2,000 to make 
um, series one. As I said, the first episode was £40. We'd made that, and then we did a crowdfunder to make the other two episodes. Um, zombies are very expensive. No one ever told me this when I was when I was starting out that the, <laughs> the makeup and the gags and everything it costs a lot of money. So uh, to make them look good anyway, and that's one of the one of the things I'm proud of at Dead Town is um, we had Andy Savage working with us from Savage SFX, and he does it, and um, Dean Garner from the Z Brothers as well, and they did an absolutely fantastic job on making the zombies look top notch. So I was absolutely thrilled with that for a low budget production. We had these guys working with us, and so we we. We did the three episodes, and then we decided that we was just gonna be left. We were just gonna. I wasn't. I decided I wasn't gonna do anything more with that. I was gonna leave it for free on YouTube for people to watch, people to enjoy, and we'll just see where it goes. And then about a week after me saying that, I'd wrote series two, <laughs> so I was, I was like, I had that ready to to go whenever whenever the time came up that we were gonna start making it. But um, we went. We did. Dead Town Series 1, we did a short film called Swings and Roundabouts, and then we went into the Quacky Slasher, and the Quacky Slasher has taken up um, from January up until um, the end of July, from start to finish, to get it completely done. So now, we're on to, the, we're on to looking at the next project, and um, it's it makes sense to me to go back to Dead Town, because there's a fan base there. Um, it was well received, it's won a few awards, um, it's had it, you know a good, good review, so um, it makes sense to me to go back and those characters. I've I've been writing for those characters um, in the Death in a Northern Town books for a while, so it comes quite naturally to me to to write for them and I enjoy them. And the guys that play the characters are good friends, and we have lots of fun. So it's it seemed like a natural thing for me to want to go back and and do series two. Yes, absolutely. I I do recall uh, reviewing the, the series, and. For those in the audience that haven't seen Dead Town, it's quite comical, especially episode one, the '80s guy. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, '80s Dave. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the '80s '80s Dave. I mean, um, a few years back, I used to work in a factory um, that made um, tomato sauce, ketchup, um, mayonnaise. Um, mustards made all kinds of different condiments and i used to work in the lab and i used to test um the, the sauces that came in so um, um I, I, it was a horrible job absolutely hated it absolutely hated having to eat all these different sauces and things as well as doing tests on them but um from that came um the inspiration for the main character john's job john eats mayonnaise for a living um, so and, and he hates I, I don't hate mayonnaise but a lot of people think i do because of the books but and hates his dave um, makes the mayonnaise that John has to eat. So there's lots of jokes about a man eating another man's mayonnaise um, <laughs> and things like that in, in the book. But 80s Dave is a real person. I used to, I used to work with 80s Dave, and he's an absolute nightmare. Um, so I um, don't see him much anymore, luckily. Otherwise, I'd probably end up being committed, being in section <laughs> or something, spending time with him. But he used to, I used to come into work, and Dave would be waiting for me, and he'd have made me a mixtape of you know, like 80s music and stuff. I go, Dave, I haven't got a cassette player. Everyone uses CDs now. We've got a fucking, fucking, fucking people, dickheads, blah, blah, and then, so like, and he'd constantly be making me all these different mixtapes and it was all synth, 80s synth. And he's my age, you know, he's in his late 30s. There's no reason why he should be so obsessed with 80s music for his age. He was a child in the, in the 80s. Nobody should be, a, but, but um, Dave is. So I decided, you know, after knowing him for a few years that it was, I was going to base a character on him, and he's kind of got a, a bit of a life of his own. Um, the, the, that character, but um, yeah, it's he's, he's a standout. He's a standout character, and he's really fun to write for as well. 
<laughs> wow that that's the type of character that would drive anybody insane they they're stuck in the past these you know look to the future <laughs> yeah crazy. yeah oh my gosh so it's funny it's funny when we were, we were there's actually there's a song based on the books death in a northern town books and um, when we did a music video for it it's called when death comes to town i'll send you a link so you can listen to this rock song it's great and it was the first bit of filming that we did um, and it's got the original 80s dave in the in the, in the video and I, I met with the bands and the bands playing me the song for the first time and um, the, the lead singer, Chris, had read the books and he's going, oh, I loved 80s Dave. 80s Dave, he's a, he's a brilliant character. And then the real 80s Dave walked past the window of the pub and I went, there he is. He's just there. And he, and he came in and he had, he had his coat zipped up and um, Chris went, you don't look very 80s. And he went, don't I? <laughs> and he, un- he unzipped his coat and he had a Run DMC t-shirt oh. on. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I'll, I'll send you a link to that song because it's, re- it's, re- it's really good if you like your rock music and, and things like that. You'll enjoy that. Yes, I do believe you had sent over a clip where the uh, musicians they were like uh, in a, in a in a small room they were performing a song for Dead Town. Is is that the same footage? No, that's a different one. That's the the, the end song of it. The song that plays out every episode. Uh, and that's 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 another brilliant track by uh, Matt McGurty, who's a brilliant musician. Um, um, lives lives locally to me. Um, I actually first met Matt. Uh, we both worked at the mayonnaise factory years ago, which is another 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 thing. But yeah, no, that's a different one. But I'll I'll send you this so you, you can you can have a listen. Great, thanks. And uh, you, before our interview, you had sent over uh, a clip. Uh, you had edited uh, Dead Town into a short film. So, what is the intent for this product uh, for for general audiences? You're getting them ready for season two, or are you? pushing this over for a film festival run um both it's it's for both really i'd, I'd want i've been thinking about it for a while and i want it and so i thought well i'll i'll, I'll do this i'll put the three episodes mm. together see how it flows as a short film um it flows really well um, it's got a new introduction um and then it was it was just a simple task about editing the three episodes together really um and uh, that it there wasn't that much work to do in it because the guys that had worked on the film that I'd, that I'd edited and filmed it for me um i'd done a really good job so everything flows really really well um the, the, as i said the idea behind it is to because we haven't released anything for dead town um since last december i think uh, november the last episode came out so it's been a while so it's just to refresh people's memories Again, it brings us into a new market with film festivals. We can enter it into short film festivals and see how, see how it does there. And it's also when we come in to make, when we made episodes, um, sorry, when we made series one, we made an episode, we released it, then we made another episode, then we released that. But when we're coming to do um, series two, it's, it's looking like that we're going to film everything and then chop it down into episodes and then re- release it that way. So we're changing the way that we're filming as well. So... Um, and that will end up being released as a short film and as a as a, as a as a web series as well. So it's something I'm looking at. Um, and I, I think people will enjoy it. We've got a the world premiere of the Quacky Slasher next month in the UK, and it will also have um, Dead Town, the short film, will be shown. Um, Swings around about another short film that we've done, and we're, we're filming another short film in a couple of weeks called The Dog Walker, um, which is um, came from a conversation. With a friend of mine that said, "How come it's always dog walkers that find dead bodies?" <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Like that. That is yeah, so it's true. always it's always dog walkers, and nobody ever suspects that they're the person that killed that person. But it's always them that find it. He goes, 
So like that's where that ins- the inspiration for that one's come from. So we're, we're going to show all that um, and then finish with the the Quacky Slasher premiere, and then after that we then looking at we we start filming um, series two of Dead Town. So yeah, so the the idea the idea behind it is it's to, to probably open oh, hopefully open it up to a new audience, um, refresh people's memories, um, the fans that we've got for the reasons why they enjoy it so much, and to get them um, a bit like hyped up and looking forward to series two. Great. And another question is, you have provided content as a, for a web f- platform, you have provided content as a short film. Do you see yourself anytime in the near future to create a full feature film? Are you ready for that next level? I, I have a feature film written, um, 90% written. It needs another a little bit of work on it. I've been working on it for a while. Um, it's just, it's, I, the Slumberjack Entertainment, our aim is to do everything in-house so we don't have to go out outdoors to, to bring um, um, like sound recordists in, to bring editors in, to bring DOPs in and that type of thing. We want to be completely contained and self-sufficient. So I want to, I want to make sure that I'm at that level and the rest of the crew are at that level where we can do this and do it justice. So the idea behind doing... Um, the, the original idea behind doing the web series, and it still stands, is that everybody involved can use it as a stepping stone to then try and move on to do other things, and we can bring people in, and we can have fun, and people can get experience and lead on, and that goes for me as well. So I, I'm hoping to grow and working on these short films, develop myself, develop the crew, um, everybody, in, uh, the actors, everybody involved, so we get to the level where this film that I've written, um, we can do it justice and not put something out that's going to be um, below par so I need to make sure that as a production company we're ready and I think we're going in the right direction we're still a young production company we've only been established as a company for just over 12 months um, in that time we've released two fully fully um, self-contained films with um, short films with swings and roundabouts and now the quacky slasher and obviously dead town is part of that as well and and so i think we'll be ready soon um i'm going to get dead town out of the way there is a sequel to the quacky slasher that i'm working on called crimson beak <laughs> uh, uh, which is it's it's the quacky slasher versus the nazis um pretty much it's complete you think the first one's insane this one's just going to be completely nuts so we're going to go uh, we will want to do that one, and then there's the the feature film that we've been working on, um, which is called Fiends Like Us, which is about a group of ghouls and demons that um, run a like a, a social club, like a, a drinking establishment. It's sort of like a members only club, so it's headed up by a vampire. Um, there is a uh, invisible man. There's a a werewolf who's only a half breed, so he can only half transform into a werewolf. There's an ancient Egyptian mummy. There's a um, a cyclops with a cataract, so he's going blind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it's can it, it's complete. Oh, there's a there's a merman um, as well. It's, it's completely ridiculous, um, over the top. It's like a fly on the wall documentary type, but it's going to be a feature film. So um, again, it's comedic. It's it's not um, scary, really. In the in in the slightest, it's just going to be played for laughs. But, um, but using like the some of the, the, the horror elements and, and things like that with the vampires and the werewolves and, and, and things. So it's just, it's getting to the point where I feel that, uh, and, the, and the team feels that we're ready to take that next step. I think we're getting there. I don't think we're far away, but I, I, I want to be able to do it justice. Great. And, uh, you know, 
starting off doing a web series there's always that that jump start I had reviewed another uh, horror short series I mean there's a lot of work and commitment into providing content as a series for the web but there's always a p that one uh, potential person that would find your series and say hey let's fund this let's take it to the next level you ever think that would happen with the uh, with Dead Town? I would I would love for that to happen with Dead Town. Um, my my goal since I was a child has, has always been to write for TV. Uh, that's always what I've wanted to do. I've always wanted to write comedy for TV. And I think Dead Town and, and the format of it, where it concentrates on a, like a, a small group of characters in a in a small town, looking at um, the zombie apocalypse on on a small level, following them around, and you know there's no military involved. There's, there's no huge scale. Um, battle scenes with zombies, you know, these it's, it's all very micromanaged, and the way that they move around um, lends itself quite well to a TV budget-wise and with the comedy and things that are in there. So I, I, I think that it would work quite well. And um, the, the the whole thing is now it's so easy to to get content out there. Anybody with a phone can go out and make a show, can make anything. You, you know, technology is so available now to everybody that um, if you have an idea and you know. Do it, get it out there, put it on the internet. You never know who's going to see it. Um, we we were, you know, we we've had it um, reviewed and we've had people like it and we've we've been invited to festivals and we've gone. We did. I mean, Dead Town episode one was filmed at um, was screened at a festival called Weekend of the Dead, which is Europe's biggest um, George Romero festival. So it was screened in a room with actors from Land of the Dead, um, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, and they were all watching Dead Town, and I'm stood there next to this big screen with dead town on going oh my god he's he's going to start saying cunt in a minute and he's going to start saying that. Yeah. And, and they were all they were all laughing and really got the humor even though it's, it is a very british thing and that was amazing for us to be invited over there to, to do things like that so and that was all from you know if you don't put something on the internet and, and you know if you don't if you make something and don't make it available for other people to see then no, nothing will happen but you know what's the worst thing that could happen you'll get a bad review some you get some bad comments on youtube uh, my, my thing is um, i'm quite thick-skinned anyway is that if, if you believe in what you're doing and the people around you believe in what you're doing and somebody else will as well so like if you, if you put that out and people enjoy it as long as the good outweighs the bad then you're doing you're doing right and just keep going is you never know who's going to see it exactly that's that's 100 true and it also when you receive the bad feedback, I mean constructive, you know, you sometimes you have yeah. the, the crazy people on the internet, but when you get the constructive bad comments, you you feed off of that, you create That's it, true. you work around it, and you provide a better content, and it it really helps out in that form as well. It, exactly, yeah. I, I take on I take on board. I, I read. I shouldn't read every review. Um, I've been doing it since the first book was released but I, I, I read everything and the only way you're going to get better is to take on board and, and understand the difference between a critical review where it's, it's meant to to help the filmmaker and it's meant to be constructive and people that are just sounding off and um, are just being negative for negative sake um, and luckily I've got you know I've got everything that we do is always going to have bad points pointed out to me so you, you do have to take that on board and there's, there's things that I know I definitely need to improve proven as a filmmaker um, as, as a, a writer director editor everything I do I, I constantly want to improve so any kind of any kind of review where any any element of the film is, is critiqued 
and um, it's not liked, or they said that this could have been a little bit better, then I'll definitely consider that and definitely think definitely think about that and take that forward into the next project. Exactly. And before I close out, it's also important to point out that you always got to have the the peop- some members of the audience who shell up, shell up, and they critique the progress of the businessman, the, the progress of the visionary, the filmmaker, because they themselves have that fear to progress forward. So they see somebody else doing it. So they got to critique it in a negative light and always persevere over that. It's very important yeah, to do so. Definitely. And uh, usually I provide a platform to discuss your future projects. Uh, you have touched on uh, what do you have plans in the future? So the platform is open. Anything else you care to share, social media, where people could follow you, and so on and so forth. Okay, well, we have the um, anybody on Facebook. Um, if you if you look for Dead Town Official on Facebook, you'll find the Dead Town page. That's got all the zombie stuff on there. If you just search for me, Peter McKernan, um, you'll you'll find me. If you can um, spell my surname right, you'll, you'll find me on, on, on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, Death in a Northern Town is the book, so you can find me that way as well. If you type that into any kind of social media. The production company, Slumberjack Entertainment, we've got our own website. Uh, you can find us there, just Google that. Um, there's, there's stuff on the Decay Mag website, so you'll be able to find us there too. Um, future projects, you know, we're going... Um, Quacky Slasher is getting its world premiere next month and it's doing the festivals and doing a few um, horror conventions in the UK. And then we're going back into Dead Town, making Dead Town Series 2. Um, and then knowing me, there will be um, any other amount of short films that will be coming up as, a, as I think about them and write them as I go along. And then book-wise, um, Death in a Northern Town 4 um, is coming out soon. Um, I'm in a couple of um, anthology books that, that are coming out. Um, I've got a, a revenge serial killer book called Blades of Ray, which is going to be coming out um, early next year. I think it's going to be now. So there's, um, const- there's always something going on constantly. But if you, um, I'm more active on Facebook than Twitter. I can never quite get on with Twitter for some reason. I, I don't know why. But uh, any, anybody on Facebook will be able to keep up to date. And then Dead Town is free to air on YouTube. So if you type Dead Town into YouTube, it's one of the first things you see. You'll find the web series. There's a music video on there. There's outtakes. Um, all kinds of things so you can keep up to date with anything going on and um, the same with Slumberjack Entertainment if you type that into into YouTube you'll find our YouTube channel where there's some short films on there for people to see great thank you <coughs> thank you for this information very rich information and uh, very very motivational stuff that you have provided as well especially from a, fi- a visionary or filmmaker and from a business perspective so thank you so much for your time no problem. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for chatting to me, and uh, I hope to do it again soon sometime. Absolutely. With with the slate of uh, projects that you have coming up, I'm sure we will have another interview sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's nothing good on TV these days, so you know you have to. <laughs> I have to write my own entertainment. <laughs> just keep keep on. Just just keep on. It's the same with anybody who wants to do anything. You've just got to keep on going and just keep on carrying on creating. Exactly. Exactly. Um, best of luck to your endeavors. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Mother directed by Darren Aronofsky. We spend all our time here. I want to make a paradise. She redid all of it, every last detail. 
And she breathed life back into every room. Are you happy? I love you. I watched Paramount Pictures' new movie trailer called Mother. In this trailer, actress Jennifer Lawrence wakes up, looks around, and then finds her husband and, you know, gives a little kiss and stuff like that. For me, that was kind of corny because they're trying to portray the perfect couple. Then she's doing some type of fixing in the house. Then there's a cutscene, she's outside, then she comes inside, she goes into a room, she sees some blood on the rug. Then all of a sudden she gets visitors. And when they come, you could see it in her face that she kind of like seems to be disturbed by their visit. And after they get there, for her all hell breaks loose because some kind of wild stuff starts happening. So here's some of the synopsis on Mother. A couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. Also joining in this film are Javier Bardeen, Ed Harris, and Michelle Pfeiffer, to just name a few. Directed and written by Darren Aronofsky and this movie will be released in September 15, 2017. Uh, uh, mother, what do you guys think? What Jennifer you, Lawrence. Yeah, Jen I, I do not uh, I do not enjoy Jennifer Lawrence. I had mentioned before she portrayed um, Mystique and uh, all of a sudden she's protesting because she doesn't want that whole bunch of uh, makeup on her body and if you notice in the X-Men films when she's portraying Mystique she's a regular character nine times out of, the, out of ten she's normal she's not with the blue skin tone and the contact lenses I'm saying to myself woman you have to do your research Mystique is blue if you did not know that why the fuck did you take the role I mean, seriously, that goes to show you that she just wanted a fast paycheck and didn't care not one bit about the, the character and, and the portrayal. That's my opinion on Jennifer Lawrence. Stacey, what did you think of the trailer for Mother? It was, <clears throat> it was interesting. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what to say about the trailer, um, but I will say that um, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, I don't know if that is a role for her or not. I guess we'll, you know, have to see, but I don't know. I feel like it's kind of an off role, I should say. Michelle I am excited for. So you think that this type of role she cannot she cannot portray this character well? 
don't you? know. Um, I mean, the only films I've really seen with Jennifer Lawrence were the Hunger Games. She was in the Hunger Games, her. Right. Right. Yeah, so that's really all I know her for. Uh, and this film, it just seems like an off character and an off. Uh, oh yeah, you did mention she was Mystique in X Men. Yeah. Right, she was X Men. Um, she was in. Uh, she was in Passengers, that sci-fi film. Oh, even in that movie, she was kind of like, eh. Right? Yeah, right? I I saw that too. In, in Passengers, she was just so... Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the other person that she was with in this spaceship, he uh, he was about to die outside. And all of a sudden, she, they, she's supposed to be concerned for his safety. And she it didn't feel authentic. Did not feel authentic, but I think I'm gonna do a mind blown uh, analysis. You know, Stacy enjoys it when I do these mind blown uh, analysis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, I need to get a special effect for that. <laughs> I need to get a special effect. Okay, so uh, Stacy, have you seen the poster for Mother? Um, yes, I'm looking at it. It, uh, it looks bland. Ah, it, it, this, this poster it just has her face. And if you look at her face, it looks like porcelain. It, uh, her skin is made out of porcelain and it's cracked and it's chipping away. Now, yeah. just with the, tra the trailer did not uh, offer this type of analysis. The, the poster does. I think that mother is about a person with dual personalities and that is explained with the poster because that that type of imagery it portrays somebody that has dual personality that they have two roles in one body and I'm I'm eager to know what her inner personality is because we know she's a mother she's taking care of the house she's a wife uh whatever that case may be that's why they gave it a title of mother because she's that type of person but her insight what secret is she hiding what is it is she a killer uh, or does she have another type of personality that is uh what do you call that in need um to make a point you supposed to back me up here <laughs> anyway dual personality in the poster that's what it portrays that's what mother's going to be about and darren arnofsky he did the same thing with black swan for those who have seen black swan that was about dual personalities and i think he's doing the same thing with this one oh, yeah. i remember that movie yeah swan. and if you look at the poster for black swan also that explains to a personality with the poster alone don't, don't watch the trailer you see the poster same shit but you also see in the trailer that when she sees michelle pfeiffer there's something <coughs> there between them michelle pfeiffer could be her handler 
and we could go inside MK Ultra discussions about handlers. Not uh, right now. Yeah, uh, excuse me. I didn't say I was going to. I was trying to do yeah, a oh, mind you opening, blown. Yeah, you opening the subject to get into it. Yeah, no, I'm not. We're talking just, about mother. I'm I'm skimming the surface of MK Ultra, and 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 dual personalities. Anyway, Stacy. So, what do you think about that? Yeah, a different perspective of the film now. Uh yeah. Now that you put it that way, because when you uh, mentioned the culture, I was thinking, you know, what popped into my head the movie The Boy. The so that movie popped into my head, like that whole uh, just vision, like, oh, I wonder if she's like a spirit trapped inside of this doll. Ah, you know I've never seen the ending for the boy. So, oh, it's the boy is a big boy. The boy is a big boy. Do not. So this pissed me off. Okay, so for the whole movie, I figured like, oh, he's so cute. So he just want to be here. Come the forty-year-old man living inside of the walls, talking like he's the boy. Really? Yeah. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's like this middle-aged guy living like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, no. Oh, no. You're not cute anymore. <laughs> wow. That's that's that sad is, and creepy. Yeah, it disappointed me. It disappointed me. I was like, no. I wanted it to be, you know, and then he tried a to little kill bitty, her. like, you know. Huh. Interesting. I'm still looking at this poster for for Jennifer Lawrence and mother. I mean, she has something red in her eyes. So I'm seeing, I'm thinking, her inner personality is evil. What do you think, Kenny? You think so? Look at that. She has something in her eyes that's red. Mm-hmm. So she could have an evil personality inside of her. She has a double personality. It yeah. could be context. Nah, not context. They, no, they're they're not expressing to. I'm just saying, you know, they're trying to make context right here and that to make you know he got glass eyes and everything. Well, you see, you need when you smoke weed, it's supposed to tranquil that dual personality that people get. Uh, come on, you still can't help me out with this one. Oh, you mean schizophrenia? Schizophrenia. There you go. Thank oh you. Oh my god, it's schizophrenia bipolar. Bipolar, thank you. Ugh. See? Now I could You should have said the sickness. No sickness or mental illness or whatever the case may be. I was trying to say you now I could reinforce my statement. Bipolar. <laughs> so this whole film could be So you think she's bipolar? So wait a minute. So then with the trailer and who was uh, like Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie? I mean, yeah, that's what I'm is saying. Is that her study or something? That's what I'm that saying. Michelle Pfeiffer, she could be the handler. You see, if you look at INDB, they don't even put uh, the roles that they're portraying. They don't want people to figure the shit out. I think Michelle oh, Pfeiffer's yeah. the handler. Javier Bardem is like a plant. For Jennifer Lawrence's character to think that she's married to him, which is not, and the whole thing is just a setup, uh, and then it's gonna have a twist at the end, a final reveal that she has a, a different personality. 
Oh wow! Okay, I could see that. Yeah. But I don't. I don't. I don't care for Jennifer Lawrence as an actress at all. So, if she's gonna be portraying a double personality, she better. She better do a good acting. Yeah. Definitely yeah, better do yep. a good acting. <laughs> be wacky, wacky. Yeah. She could be Jenny the Wacky. <laughs> what the fuck is Jenny the Wacky? Jenny the Wacky Quacky. There you go. Oh, no, no, no. We gotta leave it like that. <laughs> Sci-Fi's channel Zero No End House. It's six rooms. Each one is scarier than the last. Most people don't even make it to the sixth room. people do never seen again channel zero no end house is part of sci-fi's new slate of horror programming season one for channel zero was great and i enjoyed the originality and concept and approach Cons channel zero is an anthology series and what that means is that the storyline, the narrative, will change every season. For season two, the theme is titled No End House, and the synopsis reads as follows. Inspired by Brian Russell's creepy pasta tale, Channel Zero No End House tells the story of a young woman named Margot Slater, portrayed by Amy foresight who visits the no end house a bizarre house of horrors that consists of a series of increasingly disturbing rooms now i'm gonna take it away to stacy uh right after my analysis of this trailer the trailer doesn't say much it, it just hints on what the storyline is uh we are discussing the teaser trailer and also, uh, this is, I would say, one of, the, one of the trailers itself. Not that much information. You see a house, you see uh, a group of people discussing what this house is about. You see a girl drowning in the water. Bits and pieces of imagery, nothing that would really scare you or give anything away. Now, for the teaser trailer, that was just absolutely garbage. I mean, someone with adobe after effects could have done this as a, as a project for for college to to you know come up with some visual effects it didn't do channel zero any justice whatsoever visually uh the trailer yes it does it just hints on on what to expect so as i mentioned stacy since you are well versed in creepypasta what did you think of this trailer I wouldn't really call myself well-versed in creepypasta. I recently heard about it myself, and I really read that one story, Chef the Killer. Um, but I've never seen Channel Zero yet. I've only seen, you know, uh, commercials for it. The trailers were really also confusing, and I guess me never seeing it yet, it would be confusing for me. You have not seen Channel Zero, the first season. Ah, that no. was so creepy. Creepy pasta creepy. 
Yeah, um, it only creepy the trailers, but I couldn't really make much sense of it. Um, as you said, like the teaser trailer wasn't much to it. Uh, and then the other trailer was a little bit longer and it's still um, just like, okay, um, I don't really know what to make of it. That's probably because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to season two for Channel Zero. I actually did not watch it on Sci-Fi, the season one. I binge watched it on the DVR and let me tell you, it's a, it's a pretty interesting series. I enjoy the originality. I'm enjoying where the source is coming from, the Creepypasta source, which is an online platform where people, regular average people, write up these, fabricate these stories and sometimes it, it is uh, based on urban legends and they just modify it for modern times and you have like Slender Man and you know some some other types of popular uh, themes in need you seen the trailer for channel zero i know you <coughs> you watched a little bit of season one with me all i say is i feel sorry for the girl that's always in the water and the burning man the burning man yeah that was one of the scenes too you gotta admit they have some sci-fi is really pushing the envelope with some creepy scenes Yes, but like you said, the trailer was very repetitive. All I kept on seeing was the poor girl in the water and the burning man, and then again in the girl in the water. So no, and then the people talking about the house. Yeah, I mean they don't give much of no. nothing. They don't give it's nothing. It's like they want to keep it hush hush. Right, which is good. You know, makes people interested. But that teaser trailer was just garbage. Oh man. That looked like a template for After Effects. To Hell and Back, the Kane Hodder story directed by Derek Dennis Herbert. I've murdered more people on film than any actor in history. Kane played Jason, and Jason is a huge character. The hockey mask, the way he moves, his bulk, all of that is the logo. You meet a lot of these people who play heroes and people who play bad guys. Most of the people that I've met who play heroes are assholes, and most of the people who play really bad people are nice guys. The Hell and Back, the Kane Howard story, will release on August 26, 2017 in the UK. The documentary is directed by Dennis Herbert. The cast stars Kane Hodder, Danielle Harris, Bruce Campbell, Robert England, Cassandra Peterson, and Bill Mosley, among many others. The synopsis. To Hell and Back, the Kane Hodder story is the horroring story of a stuntman, a dehumanizing childhood filled with torment and bullying in Sparks, Nevada. After surviving a near-death burn accident, he worked his way up through Hollywood to his ultimate rise as Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th series and making countless moviegoers forever terrified of hockey now. 
featuring interviews with cinema legends to hail and back heels off the mask of Kane Hodder, cinema's most prolific killer, gut-riching but inspiring documentary. After decades of watching Kane Hodder on screen, get ready to meet the man behind To Hell and Back, a, an uniquely human story about one of cinema's most vicious monsters. Think about this. I, I feel like it's very uh, intriguing. Absolutely. I mean, come on, Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder, come on. In uh, Kane Hodder, even portrays Enid's one of Enid's favorite slasher films. You know which one I'm talking about, right, Enid? Yeah, I know you enjoy that one. You still don't know Enid. If people will see my face right now, they'll be like, "Eh, she looks ugly," because you just missed the nastiest face I just did. Yeah, I mean, that was your favorite movie. I don't know. Uh, Kane Hodder portrayed Victor Crowley <coughs> in in Hatchet. Yeah. Okay. Hatchet. They're all nasty. Hatchet. One, two, and three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Hatchet. Yeah. But Kane Hodder is, he is Jason Voorhees. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, you put on a hockey mask and, and, and overalls, you don't have no talking role, but yet he acted so well as this killer. I mean, he really gave Jason Voorhees a persona, and he even portrayed Jason in the in the video game Friday the 13th. That's Ken Hodder's Jason. Come on, I'm looking forward to watching to Helen back because I like it when they go behind the scenes and they talk about the actors. You know, get get in touch with them on a personal side, on their history, how they rose into the show business. I, I enjoy stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to watching this film and seeing different opinions about his career and stuff like that. Hulu's Castle Rock. Keep the kids outside. Oh my God. Listen. They're gonna find out about this. This door stays locked. No one comes down here. What about no me? one? Not a soul. Well, if it won't start, the good news is I live right down the street. That yellow house right there? Follow me. Castle Rock is set to air in 2018. The fantasy horror mystery television series by Michael Yukendall and Daniel Adias. The cast stars Melanie Linsky. Andre Holland, Jane Levi, Steve Rosetta, Frank Ridley, Bill Skarsgård, Phyllis Somerville, and Sissy Spacek. Castle Rock is a fictional town in Maine that Stephen King used his work. The Dead Zone, Cujo, The Dark Half, and Needful Things, among other works, have all been set in Castle Rock. Other works that refer to Castle Rock, Pet Cemetery, It, The Stand, Riding the Bullet, Dreamcatcher, and many more. Filming has started, 
Orange, Massachusetts has as the film crew shot the scenes. The series will release on Hulu Video On Demand. The synopsis, based on the story, the series will intertwine characters and things from the fictional town of Castle Rock. The teaser trailer for Castle Rock is just that, yet the background music and computer effects are dramatic. Uh, what do you guys think about this? A lot of uh, Stephen King uh, programming is hitting the waves. You have the, you have the the mist. You have it. Now you have Castle Rock. And Castle Rock has a a, a, a large cast of uh, of well-known actors: Bill Skarsgård, DC Spacek, Jane Levy. We all know Jane Levy. Uh, she portrayed. Uh, she uh, starred in uh, in the remake for The Evil Dead. So yeah, yeah, very interesting, very interesting. I'm I'm familiar with some of these. I'm familiar with The Shining, of course, and Dreamcatcher, It, uh, Salem's Lot. Yeah, that, that that was a creepy, creepy film, and and book. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm I'm. I want to see how this series develops and I think this is Hulu's first entry into horror. I don't think Hulu has done anything horror. I could be mistaken but I think this is the first one. Hmm. And it says here that J.J. Abrams will serve as executive producer of Castle Rock. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I guess just as Anit says. <laughs> wow, you had that on speed dial. <laughs> My gosh. Television, the Monsters reboot. I am so excited that NBC has decided to work with Cartman to create a reboot for one of my favorite TV shows. The name of the show is called The Monsters. That's right. Herman, Lily, Eddie, Grandpa, and Cousin Marilyn are making a comeback. And this is the new project, The New Monsters. They are determined to stay true to themselves, but they struggle to fit in the hipster Brooklyn. Here's what NBC chief Bob Greenblatt said in January 2013. I won't say we won't do another version of the monsters again. We tried to make it an hour, which ultimately has more dramatic weight than a half hour. I hope this is done right, and it gets good ratings as this is the second time NBC picks up on this project. Like always, stay tuned for updates at dkmag.com. The Monsters. Yay. What do you guys think? Another reboot? God, come on. Really? Man. Were you talking about a show from back in the days? Back in the days. Don't say back in the days. Makes us sound old. You old. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. No. You're not old. 
I'm looking at a picture of the monsters and it's in black and white. So if you're saying back in the days that you watched it, yeah, it sounds like we're old. No. No. Another reboot, really? I know Stacy is excited for this monsters reboot as well, right? I've never seen the monsters. You've never seen the monsters? Not even in the commercial or something like that? Well, yeah, I mean, but I've never seen the series. Oh, uh, okay. That's the one with Cousin It, right, Inid? Cousin It, isn't that the Adams Family? Oh, okay. You see? That goes to show you I don't know which one is which. Mm-hmm. There. But you should. They <laughs> used to love watching the Adams Family. No, 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 no. You see? Yes, you no, did. No, no. There's a difference between watching it and being forced to watch it no yes no yes because you used to like it because there was one actor there they used to like his acting no mm-hmm. i don't i don't mm-hmm. think which so. unfortunately he passed away already yes i know who you're mm-hmm. talking about but mm-hmm. uh no mm-hmm. i did not watch the uh-huh. Adams family so how come you knew about cousin it i said if cousin it was in the monsters mm-hmm. see yeah i and it was just you see, the Adams family and the monsters look alike. Wednesday, she's in Adams family, and then you hear you have the wolf boy. Then you had. He the is called Eddie. I don't know their okay. names. Okay. Well, I gotta say again, it's Herman, Lily, Eddie, Grandpa, and cousin Marilyn, which she is the only one that looks normal in the family. Yeah, I mean normal meaning she's not a. a, a she a don't monster. look. Yeah. Yeah. So, she looks blonde and and like a real person. Yeah. So here is my question, and I know in need you have the answer, and I know Stacy's gonna laugh. <laughs> Stacy's <laughs> getting ready to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> the mother is a vampire, right? She's a vampire or she's Frankenstein or she's a Frankenstein. She's the bride of Frankenstein. She's a bride of Frankenstein. Uh-huh. And then you have Mira Monster, which is Frankenstein. Okay. So she's a Frankenstein. Herman is a Frankenstein. And grandpa is a, a vampire. Bat. He's a vampire. Uh-huh. So how the hell they have a boy who's a werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> Well, so then how the hell grandpa is Lily's mother, father? Exactly. Because grandpa is Lily's father. That's, something's wrong there. She's probably half Frankenstein bride and half vampire, maybe. Or she probably was uh, cheating on Frankenstein with the wolf man. And then... She got pregnant, and uh, Frank uh, Herman Monster thinks that's his kid, which he should do a DNA test and find out. Hey, he's a werewolf. Hey, 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 hey! Don't be doing that to our listeners. <laughs> Leave them alone with the monsters, okay? Don't be trying to change their minds. And so now, when they see the monsters, they're gonna see it a different way. How you be traumatizing me at times with certain things? No, they don't need that. Leave them alone. <laughs> Well, that was my observation. But uh, Stacy, um, even though you haven't seen the monsters, I mean this this series was what back in the sixties. 
Do you think it merits a reboot for modern times? I mean, it is kind of uh, old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely say it does. I just hope that I mean, I've never seen the show, but um, just hope that maybe they don't get too far away from you know saying the roots of the show, if you will. Right. It's so modernized that you can't really tell that it's the monsters. Exactly. And they did that with the Honeymooners. I mean, the Honeymooners is, is a comedy. It's not horror. But they made a remake of it. It wasn't a TV show. It was a movie. And that movie just bombed. I mean, they took away. They stripped. I mean, of course, you got to make it modern. You got to make the characters different. But they stripped away everything that was the Honeymooners. And they made it too modern. And it just bombed. The storyline was just but terrible and uh now we have the monsters reboot uh, like you said stacy i hope they don't go away from the storyline they should keep it indeed didn't they remake the adams family yeah they just had like two or three parts of movies right yeah and they were good right yeah because they kept to the story see if they if and the brady bunch did that one do good in the movies i'm unsure keep up more with the monsters and the but I, we did see the Brady Bunch <coughs> movie and that did stick to the storyline so. yeah because they were singing and dancing and doing all that nonsense yeah so it's like it's easy says you know just as long as they stick to that story well like I said let's wait and see so, <laughs> so in other words you're trying to say okay finish this segment so so we could have uh, coffee and beer I guess so. Who's having the coffee? Because it's not me. Okay, I'm having the espresso. There you go. Okay. Don't be for me. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode for DK Mag Podcast, Season 5, Episode 5. My name is Ken Artus, founder and editor for DKMag.com. Once again, that is D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. And joining me for this podcast, we're co-hosts. Enid Artus, content contributor for DKMag.com. And don't forget to listen to our podcast on Google Music. Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag Stitcher rating and reviews and help us rank. And of course, we are on iTunes podcast and across social networking platforms, Google Plus, if you're on Google Plus, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All you have to do is type in DK Mag and you'll find us there. But be sure to visit our website where we have a lot of content, articles, reviews, trailer first impressions. And uh, yeah, do support us in every way possible by visiting us on the website and downloading, sharing, listening to our podcast. You won't regret it. No. Just like in this episode, we talk about STDs and... Uh, <laughs> STDs and quack quack and flat. Oh wow. <laughs>
Stay James. safe, everyone. <laughs> safe sex. Safe sex. Or burn. Oh my god. James Wan is going to kill us when he hears this podcast. <laughs> the STD man. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs>